That's right. It's another episode of the Quack 12 podcast. Not only is it another probably fantastic, I'm just going to call our shot, a fantastic episode of the Quack 12 podcast. It's also a fantastic part of our Pac-12 preview series in which we're going around the pack. We're looking through these rosters. We're inviting experts onto the pod. As of right now, we are we are really squaring our sights on the Cal Golden Bears, a team that I, I used to love. They used to be my second favorite college football team, I think. I think. And now it's just slipping away more and more. Because but Montana is now your second favorite? Montana's <laughs> certainly up there. Um, it, it'd help if I knew more than nothing about the team this season but uh we'll, we'll see one salient detail that you learned in 2021 and that's pretty much all you need to know okay yeah yeah basically um that is one expert we have uh from addicted to quack we've got hithliday hithliday you ready to talk about cal football uh you bet cool because we also invited dear dear friend uh, forever get basically we got to think of a new title for this guy help us on social media because it's more than just a guest of the podcast at this point he's uh um i don't know i can't think of it official golden bear representative that's a terrible title rob wong <laughs> of right for cal how you doing man pretty good pretty good uh always happy to come on this show i mean if if you made a flying v of <laughs> of podcast guests would i be somewhere in that flying v formation would you would you allow me to join that formation absolutely do you be a bash brother yes right up in the front man yes who who else are there we got gaby lucas right at the well okay she's probably in the back because she is a husky (laughs) fan we don't want her leading the flying v yeah we'll figure this out maybe aaron schroeder right in the front he knows the most yeah yeah you'd you'd be in there though yes Yes. You'd also be on Mount Quackmore, whatever. I mean, you're not a Duck fan, though. That is hurt. Yeah. Out of all of our, our hated <laughs> rivals, you are our least and most hated. Yeah we, yeah, we only like each other when it's not football season. So right now, <laughs> right now. Well, we're not angry at you when we lose to Cal, too. It always is like, what is wrong with us? <laughs> what is there's something in the put in here that we got to get out last season? Rob, we can get mm-hmm. right into it. 2021 mm-hmm. season, it was five and seven, which mm-hmm. is uh, just always hovering around that bowl game. That must always just kind of feel terrible to know it may not happen. Yeah. On the other hand, watching Cal Bowl games has also sort of <laughs> yeah. been terrible. Is- so maybe you spared that. <laughs> There's a meta thing going on here where it's like, is it the worst thing or is it the best thing? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it's 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 hard to tell. I think I also loved this. Uh, Justin Wilcox, 21 and 21 is his record at hmm. Cal. After the 21 22 season. I, I have to yeah. say that uh, I one of my like guilty pleasures late on Saturday night is to go find the post game presser for jo- uh, Justin Wilcox <laughs> because he might be the angriest man on earth. Uh, he is, and like every time Cal loses, which has happened uh, a lot over the last two years. Uh, he's like he's he's so like about one moment away from like hulking out and just destroying the desk and tearing through the reporters like yeah that dude is angry 
Let's hope he never gets to to Dear Rob in the press box. Then. Well, I mean, people have to. People ask me this all the time. They're like, "Why don't the reporters like ask like harder questions?" And it's twofold, right? Like, if you've been in a beat reporter and you've been in those rooms before, one, it's about the relationships you have. Like, you can't be a total like. Can we swear on this podcast? Oh yeah, please. We yeah, only it. cool kids are allowed to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so. I mean, you can't be an ass to yes. and ask like the stupidest questions and like the the most blunt ones right like you you have to live to fight another day um but at the same time like if you're in those rooms and those coaches are so competitive like you don't want to raise your hand to ask those tough questions because <laughs> you feel like you're gonna get late like it, it's homelanders like laser beams are just gonna burn through <laughs> oh your God. skull you if, know like if his eyes just started lighting up and yeah, because that the, yeah, the way that Homelander like threatens you just by yeah. rolling his eyes a bit, like it would be so perfect for Justin Wilcox. Like, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly what, it is. what he looks like. Yeah. And there's no way you're getting out of that press room because it's it's made like an auditorium. So like like you're in you're in like movie theater rows. So you're not you're not getting out of his line of sight and the doors <laughs> in the back too. you're not making it out of there. So why why even why even tempt fate at this point? See, this is why I do film review. Like nobody can cut me off. Like nobody can cut my access out. Like all I need is a like my, you know my cable subscription and a keyboard. And also, I'm not in proximity of like like I watch Justin Wilcox play in Autzen Stadium. Like I I I don't want to be attacked by him. Like that doesn't seem comfortable. Like I mean, the the flip side of that though, I will say is it's really cool to be able to talk to coaches about the X's and O's. Like they're actually, they love, they hate like the non-football or like the, the theatrical football side. But if you want to talk to them about X's and O's, at least the Cal coaches, like they're every, every minute of every day, they're way down to talk about it like off camera. So I'm going to steal the term, the theatrical side. Like that's a good way of describing like a lot of the writing about football that I despise. (laughs) Yeah. So you mean when I asked my question, which of your uh, walk-ons has the biggest heart? (laughs) They're not going to like that question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. How many times do we need to ask Ryan Glover about being Usher's former stepson before, like, we stop oh, asking him about that? <laughs> yeah. Who has the biggest chip Hold on up. I got shoulder. a week's worth of stories ready to go now. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> former stepson. That's like the plot of Empire. Like, that is interesting. Yeah, maybe this review will just be on that, actually. Just a deep dive <laughs> into that. No, we got to talk about 2021 Cal football first. Which started off, oh, this is tough. A loss to the Wolfpack, really? To, to, to dear Nevada. Should I should I should I take you back on? A, I mean, Hithley probably knows the history a little bit, but let, let's let's go on a little history journey here, shall we? The last time Cal played Nevada in a season opener after the season after the season where California Memorial had no fans in the stands, <laughs> exact same result. By the mm. name of one Colin Kaepernick. Mm, yes. I believe it's the first out-of-conference loss under Justin Wilcox, too. It is. It was. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. He was undefeated in out-of-conference games leading up it to was the Nevada loss. Kind of like a reverse Chip Kelly kind of thing going on for his career. That was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cal got a 14-0 lead to start off, given, you know, get, inspiring the fan base, and then, uh, you know, which we're finally back to see Cal football in right in real life after so long and uh no thank you they lost 17 yeah. to 22 two Nevada, touchdowns Nevada. two touchdowns in the first two drives and then nothing and then scoring <laughs> wasn't cool anymore it was like yeah yeah, yeah. 
Nevada ended eight and five, though. So there, there is that. I don't know if that makes anyone feel better, but there eight, you go. eight and five in a conference that was probably you know better than the Pac-12 last year. So. <laughs> honestly, honestly, yeah, and they kept telling us we were we were losing. We lost to a quarterback who went in the first round, and then he ended up not getting drafted. So <laughs> like this doesn't make me feel any better. Yeah, there's only a few. Like if Fresno State would have beaten us, which was pretty damn close to happening. Oh man. That would have been quite the year. I don't know. I guess nothing would have changed. And then at TCU, this is always uh, quite the game. The classic Cal TCU <laughs> cheese it uh, rivalry uh, lost this one 32 to 34. That hurts. Chase Garbers, 309 passing yards. Best player in the Pac-12 right there. Uh, Quentin Johnson caught two touchdown passes for TCU, including the winner. It, it actually was kind of like a shootout feel, which it was weird two... because it was the opposite of the previous game. Like the previous yeah. game was like neither team wanted to score, and then this game is like neither team wanted to stop scoring. Yep, that's exactly. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I I think from a narrative standpoint, this is the game that we basically tell TCU fans, hey, because you beat us, now you have Sunny Dykes. <laughs> you are that that was our parting gift to you yeah that's what you caught from playing this yeah uh versus sac state you got the win that's uh, all you need uh just some truly prolific off offense here most golden bear yards in three years up to that point uh 535 total yards chase garbers went 22 of 34 288 yards two touchdowns against sac state um, then at Washington, God damn it, I lost money on this one too. Because <laughs> I'm always gonna bet the Golden Bears on this one, and they they typically don't do me dirty. But this was an overtime loss after the Cal Golden Bears rallied back to tie it up to send it to overtime because they mm. were down a 24-10, I do believe. Yeah. Um, but then the Damian Moore fumble on the was one brutal. yard line. Yeah. That was yeah. like Cal was Cal was a hundred percent out coaching and outplaying uh mm-hmm. Washington. You know, there was a there was a a really good pick by um uh what's his name he just got drafted uh that like you know washington was was only ahead in that game because of their defensive backs you know because of the one good part of their team and but otherwise cal was totally outplaying them and it got to overtime and then that i mean that was he was it was while he was scoring in fact i was like i don't know i watched that team a couple of times i i thought he broke the plane like yeah yeah and we'll we'll definitely say broke the plane on this pod um versus wazoo (laughs) Happened after that. An early touchdown led to absolutely nothing for the Cal Golden Bears after that because they lose 6-21. to uh, Wazoo converted 50% of their third downs, met very little resistance. Uh, one little, uh, I guess, silver lining is a Chris Street, I do believe, a sophomore running back. He had 51 yards, eight carries, and that was like the highlight for the offense, really. Yeah, it's it's it was upsetting because we lost both the game and someone who didn't believe in COVID that day, mm. and so in so it was it was not a good good time. <laughs> that yeah, it was weird that that four game sequence, you know, because uh, number one, it was it was like you know that that game was like the Bill Musgraviest game you know ever, where <laughs> it was like you know just long fruitless drives, like they go on like fifteen or seventeen play drives that then wouldn't get any points at the end of it and it was like yeah that and that you know that was going to be a problem throughout the rest of the year although we hadn't really seen it in the previous games we had seen the rest of the games was that like the defensive backs were not 
playing assignment football correctly, which like, again, going back to the watching Justin Wilcox, like even after that Sac State win, you know, they still gave up 30 points and like a bunch yeah. of third down conversions and like watching Justin Wilcox, even in that win, that press conference, he was furious. And you could definitely see it, <laughs> you know, after the, the Washington and the Washington State games, because it's like, you know. Cause like, that's Justin Wilcox's thing is like, he's a, he's a total like tactical developer. Like I am going to teach you your, your correct assignments and you're going to do the assignments. And then you didn't, how did you, how dare you do this to me? Like that's, <laughs> and like at this point, I, I think I'm sorry to bust into the narrative, Adam, uh, but like, this is the point where he starts uh, moving around guys at defensive back, right? Like he yeah. starts, you know, pulling cornerbacks out and moving them in different positions. Right. Yeah. The, I think that's the moment where he kind of realized his trust in the experience might not be paying off right now. And you saw younger guys get in. Um, and I mean, ultimately, like in that moment, it sucked because we realized that this defensive unit that we thought was going to be average or above average wasn't probably going to play at that level this season. And we're like, all right, then we're just going to have to go through the growing pains of seeing the younger guys play. But then we had the emergence of guys like Lou Magia Hearns, who we did not expect to play this much as a true freshman and is arguably our best defensive back on the roster now. Mm -hmm. So like in half a season, right? So yeah, it was, it's, it's, it was, it was a sucky moment, but in the long-term thing of things like, you know, we'll talk about what we saw in the spring, but the defensive back room looks a little bit more impressive than it did last season. Well, and then this is, I would say, like the start of a, a good stretch. Really, this season kind of ended really well for Cal. Uh, there's only one bad outing, really, because uh, next game at Oregon. Now, mm. obviously, Oregon wasn't really living up to its high uh, ranking there, but still a lot of talent. You know, uh, was the class of the conference mm -hmm. until Utah kicked the shit out of it. But um, so there was a game tying drive that ended on the three yard line for Cal. Otherwise, this could have been a. I mean, this could have gone to overtime, and yep. who knows? And what they had happened. two chances at it too. Like, yep, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Anthony Brown, you know, because we were down seventeen to ten in the fourth quarter, and Anthony Brown uh connects with the Jalen Red and then he scampers in for the touchdown that ended up being the game winner. Um yeah, that game was really frustrating. That was definitely one that all the memories came flooding back to me. It was like, oh yeah. Uh but so after that though, um a 26 to 3 win versus Colorado. Mm -hmm. Not a good Colorado team, but you did hold them to 104 yards. And that ain't nothing to sneeze at. Uh that's your first Pac-12 win. And actually Garber's got 96 rushing yards, um, which made him the Cal's leading rushing quarterback yep. that game with a 1,025 career at that point. And then uh, versus Oregon State, uh, 39 to 25 win. So the momentum is getting somewhere here. Uh, Christopher Brooks, who I've always really liked, caught two touchdown passes, 123 total yards. Um, and also uh, Trayvon Clark caught five catches for 90 yards, one touchdown. Then, uh, I mean, this, hey, hey, you know, someone had to lose to Arizona. So it, <laughs> it was impossible that... <laughs> That uh, Arizona was gonna lose forever. I knew it, I knew it had to be us. I it, I knew it had to be us. The way it was like it, the way it was leaning towards like two weeks before that Arizona game, I was thinking in my mind, oh my god, 
we're going to be the guys that lose to Arizona. Like we're, I was like, we're going to beat Colorado. We're going to beat Oregon state. And then we're going to go on this, like a high of, Oh, this team's turned it around. And then we're going to go ahead and lose to Arizona. It's, it's in the cards. That's our plot. Like that's, that's our <laughs> choose our own, our, our own adventure, which we've already chosen. And, and we, and it has to be mentioned seven Cal starters out. I believe many more. Uh, yeah. Also, to uh, due to illness, including Chase Garbers, including coaches. Is... By the way, we <laughs> yeah. we flew in like guys to coach, like Addison Ooms, our former center, who's not coaching anymore. He's like coaching, like you know, um, I think high school kids and and doing like the trainer work. <laughs> they flew him in to be a co an emergency coach for that game at offensive line because we point... didn't have enough people. You got to show the respect. It's 20, you know, at that point, it's 2021. Like, do let them do it from home. Let them call in the call plays from freaking home. <laughs> oh, man, you know? Zoom coaching. That's a yeah. revolution, Adam. Might as well. I mean, you lost 3-10 to 10 Arizona, which, again, you should really, we should really be looking at this as, like, <laughs> that's amazing that you almost were able to keep up with Arizona, even Arizona, at this point. Like, I remember going into that game being like, how... How bad is it? How many players can you take off Cal? <laughs> and like, I don't know, Arizona was competitive against us. A lot of go a lot of shit going down with that one. Uh then a 41 to 11 win at Stanford. Good God, went that felt good. <laughs> went from a three to ten loss to a winless <laughs> Arizona team, a for years winless Arizona team, and then a 41 to 11 win in the 124th big game including three plays of 75 yards and or, or longer. And then also the longest pass play in big game history, an 84-yard mm -hmm. touchdown pass to Trevon Clark from Garbers. Uh, and then uh, just this, your neck just cracks looking at the next game. 14-42 uh, to 42 loss at UCLA. Yep. I mean, best UCLA team in a while, but still weird. I don't know. I don't... Uh, who, who can explain these things? 14 no net yards on first four drives of the oh, second God. half. And then, of course, though, you're going to beat USC for the first time since 2003 <laughs> with 14 points off turnover. So, I mean, come on. was Justin Wilcox seriously pissed after beating USC 24 to 14? That's I, I think he was ambivalent. <laughs> It's just you, like fuck. It's just like it's over. Thank God it's over. <laughs> like we can move past this. Because that was the makeup game, right? Like it was. There's wild. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So they, yeah. they played that the same weekend as the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, because it was uh, meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, and and neither team could go to a bowl game, right? Like both of them yep. had uh, uh, seven losses at that mm -hmm. point. Uh, mm. <laughs> it was just like, do we have to? Yeah, that was that. That the we have to bowl. It was a one-off wonderful event. Hey, I mean, that must feel you, – you got a little kick in your step after beating USC, right? I mean – Well, I mean, uh, that was helpless. the week <laughs> – I mean, that was the week after, what, Lincoln Riley was announced? Yeah. So, like, a lot of us, like, the realistic ones are like, this might be the last time we beat them for, like, eight <laughs> years. So, might as well enjoy it. Might as well. Yeah, it's I mean, still, that's what uh, Beavers thought, too. Yeah, it, it's a team that starts one and five and finishes four and two. Like, OK, you know, yeah, uh, I, I think I'd take it like I, I'd rather be winning. You know, if I have to go five and seven, I'd, I'd rather look like that than the other way. Yeah. And not only that, but like you beat Stanford. That's got to feel good. You beat USC. You almost won. What is it called? The California Cup. Is that what you all play? For yeah. Like it's like a, yeah. Some weird 
weird. Does that matter? Shit. Is that like the uh, platypus trophy? Like it's there, but no one actually cares. Kinda. Yeah, yeah. I think Cal fans do care because we haven't beaten all three California schools in quite some time. We always lose to at least two. So at some point, I wish it happens. I hope Wilcox is the one to do it, but who knows? I mean, that would have been pretty amazing to do yeah. it this last. I mean, it was uh, not close that UCLA game was kind of a beatdown, but still, yeah. that's pretty cool. All right, so Hith, let's let's jump into this roster. Let's see what we're talking about here. Hey, before we talk about the roster, there is one uh, that Cal didn't really have many coaching changes uh, this mm-hmm. year. In fact, I don't think any on the offense. Um, yep. Uh, Keith Hayward uh, left to be the DC at um, UNLV. He was the outside mm-hmm. linebackers coach last year. Um, looks like he's being replaced by uh, the guy who was USC's defensive line coach, Vic Sooto. Um I think that's a really good pickup. Um, yeah. He's great. Uh uh they added uh oh and then uh charlie ragel uh the special teams coach and like only special teams because the only job he had left to be uh idaho state's uh head coach which is kind of weird because i didn't think special teams is real great for cal over the last couple of years Um, but he's i i will say though i think uh charlie ragel's best traits are probably better off suited as a head coach mm -hmm. like trace trace travers from rivals like best a good friend of mine like in the press box and you know after years of covering the team have always said like he's going to become a really good head coach somewhere and he was a head coach for the, for the longest time in the high school ranks in arizona um that he was gonna i mean i think he had interviewed for some high school or some head coaching jobs the season before so it was only a matter of time and i think it was the perfect time to part which and he got a head coaching gig so then instead of getting a replacement special teams coach, they mm-hmm. grabbed one of Washington's co-DB's coaches, uh, Terrence Brown, mm. um, and made him a co-DB coach with Trey Watson. Trey Watson used to be handling all the special, all the DBs by himself, but now he's got a co-DB's uh, coach, which frankly, having watched uh, Terrence Brown and like talking to Washington fans, I don't know how good of a hire that is, but whatever. Uh, the weird thing is Cal now does not have a special teams coach. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of three teams in the conference where it's like, oh, we're just doing it as a team effort now. Yeah. It's a, it's, we haven't really gotten like a real answer, but just judging from practices and, and all that, like everyone has their, design roles there's a bunch of coaches that have had experience uh coaching special teams like maybe not the special teams coordinator role but coaching special teams uh whether that be the blocking units or the punting units or the kicking units Um, and then we have a a special teams quality control coach and former cal linebacker barton but yeah he's he's there doing doing that and then so when you watch like practice like you'll see the running backs coach arizona uh, um Aristotle Thompson like talking about and teaching guys with the gunners and you'll see the the DB coaches like talking about the coverage schemes like you'll see um, a lot more and then Angus like the offensive line coach like talking with the guys for protections on kicks and punts Um, so it's kind of a coordinated effort I don't as I think the the biggest question for any football fan who watches enough football is like, will that work? Like, is that going to be enough? Does anyone have like a a grand idea of the the profile or the the style that they want to be on the special teams units? You know, whether it be on kickoffs or punts or or so on. I don't know. I honestly don't know. 
I think that's a big question going into to fall camp. Yeah, it's fine. It's just that, you know, there's there's now like four teams that do not have an official special teams coach. And it's funny because Cal and USC last year were the two teams that had a dedicated, like their entire job was to coach special teams. And now they're two of the teams that don't have one. Mm-hmm. It's like they've gone 180 degrees on the question of whether or not you need a special teams. Coach. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll see how that works out. Like, uh, uh, like I said, you know, there was definitely, especially in 2020, like there were so many games that were like, you know, winnable games and then something horrible would happen in special teams. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, uh, throw Regal under the bus or anything. It's just like, well, it can't get worse. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think that's, that's a lot of fans' thought process here is like, okay, well, could we have, could, I mean, you could always hire worse, right? <laughs> like yeah. there's, there's always worse. So like could we have hired worse maybe so are we going to avoid that as a pot like as a whole okay i'm good with it like if if we're just gonna go for it on every fourth down <laughs> might as might as well that's hire it. guys that'll coach it in those fourth down moments that, yeah, that's yeah. the solution just go yeah. for it every time uh all right let's talk about the players um uh chase garbers uh has departed he was there forever uh end of an era um this uh and then i think ryan glover has left the team uh it seems like he hopped in the the transfer portal um although i saw him playing during the spring game that was kind of confusing uh what is his deal he is in the transfer portal i think it was just he just wanted to finish out camp and just do the spring the spring game with the guys um him alongside walk-on quarterback blake the bishop both are in the portal so cal has gone from five quarterbacks in the room to three quarterbacks in the room uh, well, it was interesting watching the spring game, and by interesting, I mean extremely frustrating, um, because they it wasn't a spring game; it was a showcase, whatever that is. And, it was a and glorified like, practice. Yeah, and, and so like I, you know, the obviously you know losing the starting quarterback, like I want to see the quarterbacks, you know, the replacement quarterbacks throw the ball. Uh, they put in Jack Plummer, um, the transfer from Purdue, who was you know in sort of this three-year battle uh, with Aiden O'Connell at Purdue. Um, yep you know for the starting job actually it was confusing enough that i charted out who was getting the starts and like they go back and forth three times um anyway uh the uh he they put him in for one drive i think with the number one offense or at least with the number one offensive line we'll get to that uh, in a little bit mm-hmm. uh he uh he did fine. He threw a touchdown pass at the end of the drive, although they didn't really show it because instead they were showing highlights from the Purdue Oregon State game. It's, thanks a lot, Pac-12 Network. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then we never saw Jack Plummer again. We saw the guy who I think is his primary competition, Kai Milner, come in for a bunch of different drives. Like it seemed mm-hmm. like they kept giving him a chance and like he kept not taking it. Um, but then rather than go back to, to Jack Plummer, it was like, let's see how Robbie Rowell, the walk-on, does. And you know, let's see how Zach Johnson, the 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 three-star from 2020 does. And let, oh, and here's Ryan Glover, guys, not even on the team. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like they refused to show us any more of Jack Plummer. Um, which, you know, I guess could be interpreted in two ways. Like one is, uh, you know, this guy has so secured the job that he doesn't even need to play anymore. And the other is, oh, God, we're real worried. Uh, we need to get everybody playing. Uh, what, what's your interpretation? I think if the season were to start tomorrow, it's probably Jack Plummer at quarterback. But there is there is a part of me that has a little bit of conspiracy theory about the spring game in that so let me let me walk you guys through of the first week of camp um was it the first week or the second week 
Anyway, we were talking to Bill Musgrave, and uh, people asked him Hell about. Yeah. People asked him about, hey, like, what do you think about you know getting your backups in and you know getting getting them some experience because, you know, we saw that firsthand in that Arizona game, right? Because Chase had played so much and none of the backups had played. You had no idea what any of those backups were going to give you, and you stuck with Ryan Glover. And in hindsight, I think a lot of Cal fans that are fully invested in the team would have probably said, dude you should have just thrown Kai Milner out there for mm-hmm. the game. Like at least see if he can sink or swim in Pac-12 competition if this game was meaningless to begin with and not stick with a quarterback that was not getting the job done at all. So, yeah, so that's in hindsight. But uh, they did ask Musgrave about that, and his answer was actually pretty candid. I was actually very surprised. He basically said, like, we didn't blow out teams that we expected to blow out to get those guys, those reps. And he, he explicitly talked about the Nevada game and talked about, we, we thought we were going to come out and we were going to just blow them out of the water. We didn't. And that kind of makes me think that, and once again, I have no basis for this, but that kind of makes me think that they oversaw Nevada. They were looking ahead already at TCU mm-hmm. that they shrunk the menu for the game down so far that once they realized the menu wasn't working against this Nevada team and the Nevada team had made adjustments, there was no turning back. They had to work with whatever they had been practicing that whole week. And it just ended up being that game because a lot of the plays that we saw in the TCU game with the deep ball and, you know, a lot of the passing concepts we didn't see in the Nevada game. So oh, sorry, I just wanted to really quickly ask, did you ask yeah. Bill if he's a listener of the show? <laughs> um, I did not. But I, I will Next I will time. be sure to ask him if he keeps up with the, uh, you know, Oregon stuff. Well, the, yeah, the Quack the Quack podcast. Well, well the Quacktail podcast in particular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in particular. Just, in particular. Well, like well. half the coaching staff is from Oregon. I yeah, mean, like, exactly. Yeah, get them. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they're they're listening right now. Hey guys, um, go Ducks. Hey. Uh, I'm with you too. I, I think Jack Plummer, you know, has the job. Um, I, I think they kept trying to give Kai Milner the job, and I totally mm-hmm. believe your story uh, about Musgrave, you know, saying that this sort of his plan to get that guy more reps, um, but it just didn't happen because of the way they're, you know, playing offense. Uh, I mean, it's inter- it was interesting doing that little project about uh, um, Plummer and uh, and O'Connell at yeah. Purdue because it, of all things, I sort of you know had a conversation about uh, with a lawyer from Louisville of all places about like how exactly this happened and like it seemed to me that the the story on the guy was that O'Connell was more of a gunslinger, like more, more aggressive in pushing the ball downfield. And that resulted in more interceptions, but like Jeff Brom sort of realized this is modern football and is like the, the guy who's pushing the, the ball down the field, I, you know, if we have to pay for it with more interceptions and that's what we pay for, yeah. you know, conservative quarterbacks don't win you football games. And that was, you know, the rap on Jack Plummer. That's the that's the right read on it, because that's basically what we saw in spring ball. Like if you listen to our podcast, the California Golden Bear cast, by the way, shameless plug here mm-hmm. uh, over the last two or three episodes that we've talked about the spring game, it's. It's that's exactly what it is. Kai has a little bit of more of electricity when he throws the ball. Um, he definitely is more risky. I, the riskiest quarterback out of that group, though, is Zach Johnson, who at that point, you know, if you're the third or fourth quarterback, why not take more risks? Yeah, sure. It, it, so you got to get it, attention somehow. Right. So it looks better from a guy who's from like me or any other beat writers watching because he's more willing to go downfield and take a couple more risks. But I think the biggest question for me regarding the quarterbacks is, and Nick, our uh, our editor in chief for Right for Cal, like in his column, a, a, I think right as the season ended or like right before spring ball, 
like he said it best, like you look at this quarterback battle right now, and if Jack Palmer does end up winning out, like what does that say about the coaching staff's ability to develop quarterback talent? Because you had Chase for five years, and you basically did not recruit well enough to have anyone supplant him for the job. And it's not that Chase was a bad quarterback. I think he was a slightly above college quarterback, and he did great, you know, a lot of memorable moments for us. But you never upgraded that position or created competition at that position enough to push Chase or even to get a guy in that could maybe replace Chase. And so you look at the quarterback recruiting over the last few years, it hasn't been great either. And then so the next guy, heir apparent, isn't the guy that you have been grooming for two years, but instead is a quarterback that you bring in from the transfer portal over two months. Uh, that's not a good look on the offensive coaching ability to, to like coach up talent. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I got to say, I see the same thing in this quarterback room is sort of, you, you know, I, I was never Chase Garber's biggest fan, but like he, in particular like scrambling you know just like keep yeah. the play alive um kind of stuff like that that dude was i mean that dude was making up for some deficiencies in play calling and and, and that's what the quarterback who you know i agree with you calling him like average with a lot of bright spots like is probably you know very fair to scripture you know of him um and, but it's like the rest of the room is just empty man it's like you know they're carrying around a couple of walk-ons a couple of you know you know low three stars i you know i, I think uh, uh they brought the one and then they haven't recruited you know like the the one freshman that they brought in i this this you know recruiting cycle is fernando mendoza i think he's a two-star and he might be a walk-on like yeah um you know uh and i agree with you like zach johnson you know i've i've now watched him in a couple of, of spring games where i'm just like that that guy looks like he has the livest arm out of any of them you know yep. like um i don't know like and and so if like kai milner i mean he's a let's be fair to kai milner he's a red shirt freshman you know yep. like the and, and you know it's been weird circumstances um that you sort of walked into and like you know if he's not ready to play until he's a red shirt sophomore like i don't think anybody should hold that against him like at all um you know and if jack Plummer just buys him a year for milner to develop and and 2023 is you know the real coming out party for the you know the four star quarterback recruit then it's sort of i don't know this discussion might seem a little silly you know like no no, no it was fine you know all along um it's just i don't know i have this weird fantasy or, or like the nietzschean retur eternal recurrence where like jack Plummer loses a job to aiden o'connell for performance in fact he lost it twice uh arguably at, at purdue um that he's gonna lose the job mid-season to kai milner you know for this it's like we need a spark <laughs> like like justin wilcox will angrily announce in a post-game press conference because it's only mode uh that they needed a spark and that's why they brought kai milner in and, and jack Plummer, the poor kid is gonna have lo lost the job again like and, and then when this happens then i will send out a tweet and direct everybody to this timestamp on this podcast in which everybody will have to praise me as no promise um what's your <laughs> what's your response to being on the receiving end of such a um a prediction no i think you're absolutely right because i for me i'd rather eat my words like like sometimes people forget that like we're like the guy said podcast you know in this realm we're fans of the teams like mm. we we ultimately want the team to win right so if I if I if I'm sitting here and I say Jack Plummer's not the answer, he's not the guy that's going to get us to eight wins, and then he takes us to eight wins next season, I will gladly eat my words because I would rather have the eight wins than me sit here and die on this hill of he is not a good quarterback. 
right? I'm willing to succumb that. I don't like, think he's a bad quarterback. Like I, in fact, his NCAA passer rating last year was better than Chase Garber's was. Um, right. I, I, I think the, that's there. The, the only issue for me is like, I just have a hesitancy of bringing in quarterbacks that have lo- that have lost the job in power five teams. Like mm. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with guys bringing in guys that may might've lost the battle, like, you know, in, in spring camp or in fall camp, you know, maybe that's an eval issue on the coaches. But if you, if you've seen play on the field and they're replacing him for the play on the field, I don't know where you get the eval to say he's going to make it here. And maybe that's just me. Who's never played football. Maybe that's well, may, maybe I'm the, maybe I'm the couch quarterback that I always hate. Oh God. I, I, I like Robbie. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's true. Um, I mean, if, if you had to play football in order to comment on football, we'd all be out of work. Um, <laughs> no, the, I play middle school. Uh, um, it, it's, it, you know, the, I think the answer staring you in the face is because this is a team that's run by Justin Wilcox and Bill Musgrave, you know, and so the idea of the check down King Jack Plummer, you know, the guy who never saw a hit route that he didn't want to throw like, yeah, that that probably made those guys mouths water like the, I, my, I mean, my rap on this coaching staff and you tell me if you think I'm being unfair is that like they're playing not to lose. You know, they're, they're playing for loss mitigation, not win maximization. Um, and, and and so, you know, the guy who like carefully takes care of the ball and will march you down the field like I mean, I can I can hear Bill Musgrave's heart, you know, racing from here. Uh, what, what do you think about that take, Rob? I mean, the that's. That's that's just like packaging what I think about the philosophy differently, right? My my philosophy mm-hmm. on this coaching staff is that they just want to be efficient winners. Same same idea. Like it doesn't matter if we win 12 to 10, we got the W, right? We don't need to be showy on offense like but at the same time if you play that style, especially in modern college football, the the margin of winning becomes so razor thin that if your offense yeah it's ultimately a high ball, risk strategy it's weird that we describe that as a conservative strategy because really it's a super it's actually risky high risk strategy yeah. mm. absolutely and i think so that's the weird part for me is like like you don't want to take risks but if you keep a game at a one score game isn't that the most riskiest way to lose yeah like i so that's yeah i the hardest part about all of this is, I mean, I've already eaten my words once because people were like, after the 2020 season, they're like, oh my God, Musgrave offense sucks. Like, we're not, it, this isn't it. And, you know, most of us were like, it was a four game season with a bunch, like, and knowing knowing Wilcox, like, they're probably doing some gamesmanship of not opening up the entire playbook because they already know the season's really lost. It's mm-hmm. more of an, it's more of a glorified preseason. Um, so, but then we saw the 2021 season. It was pretty much the same playbook. So, so, so you were a Musgrave <laughs> defender at the end of 2020. But at the end of 2021, you're like, oh no, y'all were right to begin with. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, and I'm, I'm totally fine. I'm totally fine uh, saying that I was, I was wrong there. Um, I mean, there's definitely. I mean, there's a time and a place for it. Like, I think that the sort of the blanket condemnation that a lot of it, you know, sort of maybe not advanced stats authors themselves, but advanced stats aficionados have gotten into where it's like, there's only one correct way to win football (laughs) games, which is to throw 60 yard passes every single attempt. And anything that you do otherwise is, you know, an opportunity cost lost. Uh, Like, I I think that's sort of silly, but like, that's how Musgrave starts games, you know, like I I just ultimately like find it in, it's like, if you offer an economist, you know, like, 
this is a 50% risk of getting $100 and a 50% risk of losing $50. The economist will be like, I'll take that risk every day. That means I made 50 bucks on average. Um, you know, I think if you presented that to, to Musgrave and or Wilcox, they would be like, no, 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 I might lose. Like, no, 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 no. Keep that away from me. You know, like they're so afraid of going, you know, backwards even a little bit that they won't take risks that'll, you know, get you forward. Um, it's yeah, no, it's just not. Uh, well, we, we've said it enough. Uh, let's talk about the running backs. Uh, this is a happier uh, room. Uh, <laughs> yes. Anyway, it always has been. It always has been there. Well, the the sad news, though, is losing Christopher Brooks and uh, Marcel mm-hmm. Dancy. Uh, I mm-hmm. liked both of those guys um, quite a bit. Um, uh, returning, however, a, a pretty healthy looking room. Uh, Damian Moore, um, uh, Chris Street, uh, who who uh, Adam highlighted. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, DeCarlos Brooks, who I don't believe is related to Christopher Brooks. Nope. Um, uh, one other uh, running back who got a couple of carries of mid three star uh, Ashton Stredick. Uh, so that's four returners. Um, they uh, have two f- uh, freshmen in the incoming class. Um, Jaden Ott, who is a four star uh, and uh, Ashton Hayes, who is a high ish three star. Uh, we saw Ott uh, playing in the spring game. He looks like the real deal. Yeah. Um, I think there's a really healthy running back room. Like if anything, I actually think maybe they have like one too many guys and there might be another dude transferring out, but like, yeah, um, but like, yeah, I, I can't find any, you know, anything to complain about in this room. I think that, you know, assuming the offensive line works out, which we'll talk about in a little bit, like, oh boy. Um, yeah, I think, you know, this will be yet another, I mean, I've been saying it for a couple of years now, at least in 2020 uh, uh, and definitely in 2021 that like, yeah, Cal's, you know, running game is for real. Like they lean on it too much, um, but like there's a reason why they're leaning on it. Yeah, I mean, this, I think this running back room is arguably the the most talented and most athletic group from top to bottom we've had here in quite some time and we've had our our fair share of good running back lineages we haven't had that one home run hitter type of runner in a while mm. like we haven't had that guy that gets the second level and you're you're not catching him like he he is gone like Damian has the vision but you know, you've seen over the last two years, like he doesn't have that extra gear. Yeah. And, you know, going back to, you know, Adam talking about the Washington game, like he got hurt in that game on that tackle. Yeah. Like he he talked to us uh, in the spring about it and he was like, yeah, I I don't want to I don't want to say the wrong medical term here. But basically the shoulder wasn't great after that. Mm. And so that's why you didn't see him play. That's why he was never 100 percent. And so like knowing that now like you're like oh okay i he wasn't in the doghouse like it was purely because he was injured and recovering from injury that he wasn't getting those snaps Um, but i mean it it was like you know arguably a well they had two guys at the top uh uh more and christopher brooks and uh then they had three other guys who were getting you know 20 you know street the other brooks and dancy you know were were, you know it's like a five-man rotation arguably or like a two plus three man rotation like they could you know if, if a guy was hurt a little bit you know that was they could deal with that. And, and I think they're looking at a similar situation for 2022. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a, that's a very good question because I'm looking at that running back room and I don't know, I don't know who's going to start. I, I honestly do not. You think know. that Jade not could take it away from him? I, you know, the way he's the way, I mean, you, you guys saw the spring game and that alone could, you could tell he was the real deal. I don't think he'll start right away because this, this coaching staff mm-hmm. leans heavily on experience but if they get him enough snaps, 
I don't see why he can't be starter week six. Like yeah. I, I don't. He has the talent. He has the body. Like he has, he has all the intangibles. Maybe passing catches out of the backfield is something that he needs to work on over the summer, and maybe he takes that step in the fall. But just everything you see, like there's a reason. I mean, he's he was a high four star, but he was also a former five star, right? I think he was committed to you guys at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was a reason that he was rated that high. And it's clear, like, on the field, he can do so. And that's not to take away from all the other guys that are there. Like, this is Damian Moore's job, Damian Moore's job's job to lose. And it's getting very, very close. Like, the disparity isn't as big anymore. Like, Street and DeCarlos both have made significant strides um, in the spring. DeCarlos in particular, also because I'm biased. He's one of my receipt guys. <laughs> and... uh I think he's I think he's absolutely stellar. Um and he yeah, he's he's a little he's electrifying if he can get into space. But as I said, like you know, uh it's it's just like one of those rooms where I'm looking at it and I'm gonna have this question up until probably the end of the entire twenty twenty two season of like who was our best running back? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a nice problem to have. Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we uh, this is our third interview. Uh, there are lots of rooms uh, in, you know, units throughout the Pac-12 in which like, you know, one tweaked ankle and they have a serious, you know, production, <laughs> you know, yep. deficit, you know, like Arizona State, I think, has two running backs, you know, next year. Um, and uh, and, you know, just not the situation at Cal, like they they, they can take an injury and, and, and probably not really fall off in production, you know, in any appreciable way, which given how central running is to this offense, like, it's, you know, good situation to be in. Yep. Uh, and then in terms of the fullbacks, the other back, uh, there, there was a, it was actually a little dicey there for a minute. Like it looked like Cal didn't have any fullbacks, but now they have two. Uh, uh, the and both of them have phenomenal names. Uh, yep. Bo Tagaloa, uh, Bo spelled the Cajun way, um, and uh, and the I can't believe this name is real. Champion Johnson. Um, his, his younger brother's first name is Victory. By the way. Wow. <laughs> um. Wow. Uh, yeah, so, uh, they exist. I, I just wanted to note that Cal has fullbacks. Um, they, they may be one of the only teams that have them. Um, but they who actually, were worried... who actually played in the spring game. Yeah, no, I saw him. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, the fullbacks, they, they are not yet extinct. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the tight ends. Um, so speaking of this team, reminding me of Washington, um, in, in playing seniority over talent, uh, I didn't understand why uh, Jermaine Terry wasn't playing more. What was the deal there? Uh, that's actually a very good question. I He didn't look like he was banged up, but maybe he could have been. Just I remember in not... the 2021 spring game, he took like an ugly hit. Yeah. And I and was worried about up. his health. Yeah. Um, but it... I was under the impression that he was, you know, back to 100% by the time you know football was to play and then he got one catch during the season i was like what's the deal he's a four star everybody else here is you know mm-hmm. like literally two different walk-ons we're getting i think the the three dudes who were departed i should actually ask you about this first yeah uh the three dudes who have departed are gavin reinwald jake tongas and colin moore right yeah uh i believe all three of those dudes were walk-ons um yeah and- colin's a converted walk-on quarterback tongas was a walk-on gravin reinwald was not a walk-on he was one of he was one of the scholarship guys uh, mm-hmm. in Wilcox's first recruiting class. But he was like two star, you know, it was like, yeah, that's yeah. why. I, you know, sort of, and it's like those guys were the guys who were getting all the catches. Yeah. Uh, 
And meanwhile, Jermaine Terry, you know, four star gets one catch. Uh, Kaleki Latu, who I think is he's a mid three star, but I think he's really promising, got four yep. catches. Uh, Elijah Mohara, who I remember we talked about on a previous mm-hmm. podcast, got three. You know, it's like, wh- why are you know these guys are the talented guys? They weren't getting catches. Um, I, I sort of think like this is a problem that resolves itself because you know they're going to have to throw the ball to these guys now because they're yep. the only ones left in the room. Um, or actually, that's not true. There's three other guys in the room. I think Nick uh, Alfton, Jake Muller, and Jeremy Johnson. Um, but yeah. I, I, I would expect the ball to go to Terry and Latu quite a bit. Like, yeah. I, I sort of think those two are your starters and what's probably going to be a 12 personnel. Although, Jesus, man, that dude, Musgrave liked putting out 13 and even 14 personnel um, a lot in 2021. Um uh, like I wouldn't be surprised to see Maharo in a fullback, you know, in, in some formations too. But anyway, I think primarily you're going to see uh, Terry and Latu. A, yeah. do you think I'm right? And B, why weren't those guys playing more last year? I think the seniority thing is absolutely right. Uh, I think also that, so I think with Latu and with Terry, I think the biggest things were both body types and like the physicality aspect in two totally different ways. Latu has one an amazing frame right and his catch radius is out of this world and but the thing was he had no muscle on him yeah he, like, he's like at least 30 pounds underweight for the role yeah like, he looks like a twig yeah so, he, he needs to camp out at blondies and just yeah <laughs> exactly he's not one of those he's you can't put him in an every down situation because he's not gonna be able to block guys he's too tall and he doesn't have enough width on yeah him. like his his center of mass is too high exactly so the only way you're going to probably play him is out wide like a Jimmy Graham situation, right? And just give him, you know, high balls to go for. Terry had a body type that was good for blocking but not for pass catching. Um, and But so both of those guys transformed their bodies over the offseason and into the spring. Terry um, has lost a, a lot of weight um, and transformed himself like he said, he feels better. He's faster. He can jump higher. And you can see that when you interview him and you see him up in person. Like he was already a muscular dude, but now he looks even more muscular despite the fact that he lost weight. And so you got him and then Latu like definitely filled out his frame a bit more. It was a little bit sad because he hurt. I think it was it his right hand or like right forearm or right wrist. Yeah, I saw him. Like, he had a club on his hand. He had a club on hand. and that was like week two of, of camp. Uh, but you know, I think, uh, he's, he's still practicing. He caught a bunch of balls with his, you know, left hand, like one handed, he was still running routes during practice. He hey, didn't play hey Oregon has game. defensive players who are picking off balls with a club on their hand. They're yeah. widely celebrated. In YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, you're absolutely right. It is those two guys. Um, and that's why I think you'll see them more. I don't think they thought their, their body types were ready to play hmm. and they didn't want to hurt any of them. Like, you know, and, and because they both have such promising futures. All right, let's talk about the wide receivers. Um, mm. So talking about an end of an era, um, <laughs> losing uh, Nico Remigio, um, Trayvon Clark, Kakoa Crawford. Um, I always like Remigio quite a bit, you know, little slot guy, but like magic hands, like that yep. dude mm-hmm. was like the clutch player of the universe. Um, I got to be honest, I was never real wild about Clark or Crawford. I always thought they were a little slow, uh, slow-footed. Um but all, all three of those guys are gone. I think those are the only departures. Is that right? At wide receiver, I believe you're correct. 
um, bringing back what I think is a promising looking wide receiver core. Like I might have to stop complaining about Cal's wide receiver core mm. um, for finally. Um, my favorite was Jeremiah Hunter uh, uh, yep. last year. Um, I actually thought he should have been getting more targets. I think that's the, you know, the Cal just wants to be Washington problem again. Like, uh, you know, I, I think he should have, you know, I, I, I think they should have been given the ball to to Hunter and Baker and uh, and Monroe Young a lot more last year and sort of, you know, had kind of usher Clark and Crawford, you know, to early retirement. But that's just me. Uh, but anyway, Hunter and Young and Baker all come back. You know, those guys are relatively experienced. I think they're pretty promising. They look fast. They just straight up look faster than the other guys that Cal has had. Um, also returning um, a guy who who was a four-star in the 2021 class, but I don't believe saw the field last year as a true freshman, J. Michael Sturdivant. Yep. Um, same story with uh, Maven Anderson, four-star 2021 class, didn't see the field last year. Um and there's a couple of three stars in the room. Um, they brought in uh, a Juco, Mason Starling, and a true freshman, uh, uh, Javian Plummer, although I don't think Plummer was on uh, on campus for spring yet. But at, at any... Okay, but at any rate, you know, Hunter Young, Baker, uh, Mangum Sturdivant, uh, Anderson, maybe Christakos, um, like, uh, you know, I, I think that's a pretty promising wide receiver core. Not as much experience as I would like, um, but... You know, it seems like it'd be difficult for the arch conservatives running this football team to screw this one up, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you heard Musgrave talk about the wide receivers, and he, I mean, this is this is wild, but he said that you might be seeing the golden age of Cal wide receivers, and he listed off guys like Brian Treggs and Keenan Allen and Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, and, man, I <laughs> Cal's so, had a few good wide receivers over the years, in fact. Yeah, like, and for him to be listing those names off and saying these guys could probably eclipse that, you know, he didn't, he didn't say it, but he was kind of alluding to could be even better. Like that's on his shoulders now to play call for those guys. Yeah, man. Like... <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I mean, J Mike, absolutely. I mean, his offer list, if you go take a look at it, like his final four was like us, LSU, Oklahoma, like with Lincoln Riley and, uh, and some other some of those like you know high profile blue blood type uh, football programs. So for him to have chosen us like was huge. And then Hunter like I think everyone likes his tape and his size and what he can do. And now he is the guy. Him and J Mike and are are the two guys. And then you have behind him like guys that you were talking about like Maven Anderson, Monroe Young, and Maven's probably the guy that's exploded the most in camp. He probably looks like the guy that stole the slot role. Um, hmm. He's probably the guy at that role now. And that's, and you know, you look at the profile in that room and immediately what stands out to you is the size, like six, three, yeah, six, like, two, six, I think four. there's only two guys who are under six. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, and then like Tommy Christakos, by the way, who has an awesome nickname, they call him top shelf, Tommy. Nice. And that's because like you get, you Get him a jump ball. He's going to grab it from the top shelf. Like, he's coming down <laughs> with it. And he's done it a few times in camp already. Yeah. Like, not just in the red zone, but, like, you know, just down the down the field over the middle or down the sideline. Like, he's just going over a DB and just he's coming down. Yeah, I mean, he's 6'4", and he's got ups, you know. Like, he's, yeah. he's not like one of these tight ends you see that are really tall but has, like, a six-inch jump. Like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, that dude can high point the ball. Um, 
so i mean yeah i mean that's what i'm seeing is like it's there's 12 uh dudes in the room if you count trone grizzle the walk-on who's getting some time in the spring game um which is you know plenty of depth for a 12 personnel offense mm -hmm. um and there's actually some talent in the room there's a couple of four stars there's a couple of you know uh, they're mid to high-ish three stars but like we've seen them play and they're like they're the fast version of a high three star um which like if you're gonna maximize one quality in a wide receiver let's go with fast um Can't teach speed yeah it was definitely the quality that was missing from cal's wide receiver room in my opinion for most of justin wilcox's tenure and like was what i was banging the drum about every time i had for write up cows like boy these dudes are slow uh and it doesn't seem like slow is a problem you know with this group the yep. the one problem is that we are talking about with those uh, you know dozen dudes is that there's only 35 catches in total yep. for all of them for all of last year and, and like everything that we're talking about these guys is with the exception of jeremiah hunter who i think has proven himself um is like it's theoretical you know like yeah you know and it's still the case that that like it's probably the case that like a third of these guys won't actually be be playable just because the law of averages um you know it would still leave you with eight decent options which is again in a 12 personnel offense like plenty you know of depth uh it, it's just sort of like it, it, you know we're gonna have to wait and see whether or not you know how theory comes to practice you know like we're, we're just gonna have to find out and it's entirely possible that bill musgrave just wants to you know have, have you know 12 fullback dives every drive you know <laughs> and the wide receiver talent is relevant like it's it's still the possibility that the coaches can get in the way in some way uh here but in terms of just the talent in the room like yeah i think this is pretty promising yeah i you know i think you know, I'm looking at the roster right now on the screen too, and I'm like, I, I think the starters probably have to be Sturdivant, Hunter, and Anderson. That's probably after seeing camp, like that's probably who I would pick as my three wide receiver start. So you uh, think they're going to push Young and Baker out, even though they were getting play last year? Yeah, yeah, I think Young and Baker are probably the first two guys off the bench, um, and probably Monroe Young as the fourth wide receiver. I mean, I think Aiden Lee probably would have done it, but he 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 got hurt real bad um, in a practice, oh. and it wasn't it was not pretty at all. Um, it was just four guys collided, two DBs and two wide receivers, and he came out with you know a bad foot. Thanks. So I think yeah. Otherwise, I think he would have probably supplanted Anderson as the starter. And probably Anderson would have been the first one off the bench. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's probably where we're at. And I think you're absolutely spot on is the experience and the snaps aren't there. But, you know, just judging from the talent in the room and, you know, the DBs that they're going against in practice every single week and, and practice every single day aren't walking the park DBs. Um, they're, you know, fundamentally sound. There's still some experience, especially in the safeties. And so for them to be able to still play like that against this DB group, I think that's what, for me as a Cal fan, I'm kind of excited about. All right, let's talk about the offensive line. Um, I think this is the least exciting part of the offense to, uh, or the least like uh, uh, happy news to report um, because yeah. Will Craig has departed. Um who's the the four-star left tackle. I believe he was playing as a true freshman um, yep. back in 2018. Um, I, do you think it'd be fair to say he's Cal's best offensive line in this decade? Oh, this decade. I mean, over the last 10 years. Ooh. I, this decade is technically two years old, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is true. 
I'd have to. That's actually a very good question. I'd have to go back and look, but I, he's. I think he's the highest rated for sure. Um, also losing uh, the guys who were playing right guard and right tackle last year, McCade Metower and Valentino Deltoso. Yep. I, I should mention Deltoso was at Oregon for about five minutes. So I do that for everybody. <laughs> um, and, uh, also losing, although I don't think he was a, a starter, I do think I've seen um, actually t- two guys who I, I don't believe were starters, but I think I've seen play for Cal in the past who were Brandon Mello and Gentle Williams. Mm-hmm. Um and then a Juco walk on CM Nizal. I think those six are the only departures from the room. Yep. Um, bringing back uh, the starter, uh, Ben Coleman, who I believe last year was playing left guard, but I have seen him play tackle before um, in the, the 2020 season when they had like they had to do a bunch of injury based rotation in 2020. So I got to see like like the future of Cal's offensive line back then. Um, I believe that he's going to move her and play left tackle. He is. Uh, Matthew Sendrick, the center, is returning, and I assume that he is going to stay at center. Yep. Uh, I think there's probably a battle for right tackle, but I think I would pencil in Braden Rome because he's uh, he's got a lot of experience, at, you know, playing tackle, and I think he looked fine. Yep. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's that's the right call. I think uh, that's kind of who we think is probably the starter at this point. That's of course, barring any transfers we bring in, and we've already brought in one, I think, yesterday. So. Right, uh, TJ Session from Montana yep. State. Yep. Um, actually, uh, well, and then, so I think there's really just sort of, uh, I, I think we can pencil in who four of the five starters are. And the, the, the question is just like, you know, left guard, I think is, uh, or, or the, I'm sorry, the, the, the two guard spots. Um, uh, so th- we pencil in three of the five and there's, you know, two up for debate uh the the guys i was seeing in the spring game who i think are possibilities are baston swinney everett johnson uh ender aguilar um and i sort of think bringing in tj session was sort of an it like i don't know uh, watching the rest of the guys block for kai milner that was oh boy uh, this is a really complex sentence i was one of the reasons i was frustrated with the spring game was that it looked like they had kai milner behind the the second string offensive line. And so I never really got to see the guy throw because that second string offensive line was getting absolutely demolished on every (laughs) snap. And he was running for his life every damn time. And it was like, I literally, I mean, I'm not joking about this. Go back and watch your recording of the spring game. Kai Milner never gets to set his feet in a clean pocket and throw a pass. Never, not once. And they put him in on like five different drives and he never got a chance to do it. It was because it was behind this, you know, uh, this, the, in my opinion, the second string offensive line and, and when they took TJ session, I was like, well, there's your answer. Um, what do you think about that interpretation? Yeah. I mean, I think we all knew that going into this summer, like offensive line transfer portal was probably big. I think you want, you know, if you've like myself and Nick um, both think Ben Coleman moving to left tackle actually weakens the line. Like he is, he was so good at left guard, but the fact is you're not going to find need a left tackle dude. Like, yeah. And you're not going to find starting caliber power five tackle talent. Right. In yeah. The portal. You, it's you just, put, it's just you put your best player at left tackle and mm-hmm. then you fill in the holes from there. Like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So it's easier to replace, you know, guys in the interior. Right. So moving Ben, I think is just, it's the logical move here. And so now you bring in a guy like TJ, they had a couple more offensive linemen, I think visiting or going after right now. Oh, really? So you can bring in. Yeah. If you can bring in one more guy, I think, you plug in the gap a little bit more. Hopefully it's a guy who has division one, like not maybe not even power five, maybe mid-major experience. 
Um, and I think you would be in a pretty solid spot along the line. You've plugged enough holes at that point, but still like you have one injury and your line looks like the two, like the second line. So, yeah. I mean, I was really, I mean, it was infuriating watching that. I mean, I'm not, not, not to get mad at kids, you know, like <laughs> I, I don't mean it that way. I just mean like it was infuriating because I wasn't able to watch Milner throw the ball, you know, because like the, the, and, and really the reason is because yeah, that, that second string offensive line, like yikes. Um, I mean, this is sort of another, it, it it's sort of like we were talking about with the quarterbacks where it's like, okay, there's, you know, one, you know, decent looking dude. And then I sort of feel like it's an indictment of the coaching staff that they have not been able to pull in, you know, um, more and better offensive line talent. Mm -hmm. Um, Although actually, you know, let let me temper that a little bit. I don't think any of the true freshmen will play because I don't think any of them are on campus uh, yet. And like, and true freshman playing is unusual even if they were um but like three of the four guys that they got in the 2022 class are high three stars right like trent ramsey jackson brown and cop uh vaticani mm-hmm. um like you know a, a couple of years down the road you know that you could really shore up the offensive line with guys like that um it's just that what we're looking at right now is like I'm seeing low three stars. I'm seeing two stars and I was seeing guys who just couldn't block at all uh, in the spring game. And and I think you're right. Like, I think you can figure out the starters um, without much difficulty, but like, yeah, like one injury and like has Cal ever gotten through a year where they don't have an injury on the offensive line. Yeah, no. Um, I think that, you know, the, the name I've heard consistently around the team has been uh, Fakitani. Mm-hmm. Like they, there's a lot of people in that building that think he could be a day one starter. But like, like he wasn't on campus for spring, was he? He he wasn't. He wasn't. And that's the thing. Like there's a lot of people in that room, you know, from his workouts, like his when they've seen him on campus, like his body type, where he's at, like physically, his technique. A lot of people think he could be as day one starter on the offensive line, and that says a lot. Uh, especially with this offensive staff that's so, or this entire staff that's so geared towards well, experience. I mean, so, it might say a lot about him or it might say a lot about the existing offensive line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is interesting that that's the, I mean, if, if I were to pick one of like the younger guys to play, that's the name I've heard most consistently. So that's probably the name I would pick. Well, I will keep our eye. Uh, I mean, the first time we'll be able to see him is in fall camp. So we'll, we'll yeah. have to take a look and we'll have to scrupulously read uh, right for Cal to, to, to see how you guys are reporting on that question. Um, I, I mean, I sort of feel like, I don't know, like there's, you know, we're, I think the running room looks real solid. I think they uh, they have good options at tight end that they will finally be forced to play. I think they have good options at wide receiver. They will finally be forced to play. The experience isn't quite there. Um, uh, but, you know, I think the skill positions, um, at least in theory, look like much better than Cal has had in at any point in Justin Wilcox's tenure. Mm-hmm. Um I think quarterback's a big question mark. Um, I think whether Musgrave is going to continue being super conservative and therefore waste all that skill talent um, is, you know, a big question mark. And I think offensive line perform, you know, if not the personnel, the performance and and the depth is a big question mark. And, And I could see any of those three things 
kind of tanking this offense you know like if the if the quarterback's you know too conservative the offense is too conservative if the offensive line um you know has some problems i I would see any of those three things being a a, an offense killer before i saw the running backs wide receivers or tight ends being a problem um what do you think about that take uh i think mostly that's correct i think you know and when we talk about the defense I'll, i'll talk about that a little bit but like the offensive line I don't think will have as big of an issue performing in the run game I think if you if you force those guys to play a little bit downhill it's going to be a lot easier especially with that experience because I think they do have some experience along the entire offensive line that you can kind of mask that but as you said like pass pro is is a totally different monster and I just don't think we have the technique and the experience there to be able to manage that like even you can't mask it right like if you're playing the run game you can pull your guards that maybe aren't as more experienced and just have them a little bit moving a bit more one assignment that's the guy and let your running back do the rest but in pass pro like you know handing guys off and and sliding and and making sure you have all your pre-snap reads correct like it's it's just it's way different so i mean and that's what i what i meant to say was like you know, they played pretty well when they're playing a run play against this front seven, which I think is probably one of the best front sevens I've seen here in, in quite some time. And so that's why I'm, I'm a little bit more hopeful in, in the run game, especially because the running backs are a little bit more athletic now. So you have guys that can see the hole and maybe burst through it a little bit quicker, despite the fact that those gaps might close a little bit faster now. You have faster guys with the ball behind them. So... Well, I mean, that's definitely what I was seeing, you know, when I wrote up Cal midseason, the, the 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 week right before they played Oregon, uh, you know, the thing that I reported on um, was that for, for lack of a better term, that like Cal's offensive line and like three of these guys have departed now. So, um, you know, the relevance of this is, is a little less salient. But anyway, the Cal's offensive line was big enough that they that that when their run plays were like just you know lean forward you know lean on the defensive line Mm -hmm. you know open a gap and let the running back do his thing to get you know four or five yards that they were fairly good at that but then when they were doing like if they had to do like a stretch play on an outside zone run where it's like you know you need to start blocking this guy and then hand him off to the guy behind you and then move up to the second level like forget it man like they yeah you know it was just not gonna happen and you know that's with you know, that was with Will Craig, you know, and that's that was with, you know, Del Toso, who'd been around since the Obama administration, you know, like <laughs> and, and and sort of handing that off to, you know, like Cindric, for example, it's good to have a returning center. You know, center is definitely a position that benefits from experiences, as you say, to get your pre-snap reads out, you know, your blitz pickups and so forth. But like, boy, I got to say, I've never really been wild about Cindric. Um, and, and, and like. You know, and I sort of see an offensive line room that's sort of filled with Matthew Sindricks, if you know what I mean. Like, I, 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 I sort of think that's what we're going to see again in the run game is like Cal's going to lean on you to pick up five yards and maybe the running back does something special and, and you know, turns that into a 10 yard run. But uh, but that's I think maybe all you can count on for this offensive line. And that might be a bottleneck that that's sort of my interpretation of what the talent is looking like. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, it's and it's basically basically what I was saying too. Um, like Andy, you know, my co-host on the podcast. Like every time we'd run like a toss play, 
He'd be like, why are we running the cosplay? <laughs> it never works. Oh, man. It You're... never works. There was, w- I think there was one cosplay that worked all season. And that's the one point at the, just to troll him. I'd be like, see, it works. And he's just, he's just shaking his head at me because 99, 99% of the other times it's not working. Uh, but that was, you gotta I mean, instill the fear of the toss play. That's the trick. So. <laughs> but, gotta but keep it honest, right? Bill Musgrave, like when you were watching him at Autumn, like like that dude loved the toss. Like he loved the sort of fake run one way and then toss it the other way. Like that that, that was the best toss quarterback I've ever seen. I, I tell you what. Uh, uh, all right, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Um, uh, all right, defensive line. Uh, mm. It, it, this is an interesting unit because I I, th- I think I'm inclined to agree with you that the defensive line looks not bad, although that's curious because they've had so many losses of like really sort of iconic dudes. You know, they lost Luke Paquette, who, you know, the, the once in future bear starter. Uh, they lost J.H. Tevis, who like yeah. was one of only three defensive linemen that they had at all in 2020. Um, they lost Aaron Maldonado, uh, who you know we'd been talking about as like maybe this guy could be a nose tackle, but then he lost weight. It was weird. Uh, Eric Nisich, you know, same thing. Um, I think those are the four departures on the defensive line. Have I missed anybody? Yeah, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Um, they, uh, they brought in four true freshmen. I don't think any of them are going to play or excuse me, two true freshmen in a Juco, um, uh, Curly Thomas, Nathan Burrell, um, and, uh, Henry Ika Hitifo. Um, yep. uh, I'm not expecting any of those guys to play, but uh, although maybe the Juco Ika Hitifo, like, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, we didn't get to see any of them. They, none yeah. of them were on campus. So it's, right it's really hard to tell. I mean, well, you just told me about an offensive lineman who's going to take the line by storm and fall camp. So I don't know. Um, on the defensive, the, uh, the interesting thing about watching the spring game was that the uh, the offense was frequently in 12 personnel. And when this defense sees 12 personnel, they go to their three down front. And so we actually got to see lots of nose tackle play, um, yep. which has been the thing that's been missing since Chris Palmer left at the end of 2018. I think yep. they finally have not just a nose tackle, but multiple nose tackles. In fact, I think I count six different dudes in the defensive line room who are over 300 pounds. Um yep. Uh, I, I was seeing uh, Darius Long play a lot, who I think was an unrated Juco. Um, yep. uh, that dude's 315. I was seeing Ricky Correa at 335, yes. you know, my stars. Um, I was seeing uh, Jadon Roberts and Gunnar Rask. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I was seeing, uh, Stanley McKenzie a little bit, I'll, I'll, you know, that dude's like 350. I, I think he's actually a little too big, frankly. Um, and, and then this is, all, you know, all without Brett Johnson, who's like one of the best defensive linemen in the pac 12. Um, I think he was being held out of the spring game with like a minor ding or something like that. Yeah. I mean, he was on a pitch count after his, I mean, that's what, Peter Sherman said was he's on a pitch count after his injury. They want to be cautious uh, with how they bring him back. So, yeah, I think he was they just made sure he he played on certain things, but not for every single down. Um, I, I definitely like I, I kind of don't have any more questions here. Simply, you know, the thing that I have been noting, like every time I do a Cal write up is like, where is the nose tackle? And, the, you know, they finally like, fine, here, we're going to have six of them. Like, <laughs> although I don't think Brett Johnson's going to be playing nose tackle. They sort of forced him into that role in 2020. It's not the best use of his talent. But like, they have six dudes who are over 300 pounds. Like, they finally have some beef in the middle and might be able to mm-hmm. stop the run, you know? Like, are, yeah, I, I, 
they're super fun to watch. I really like this group. Um, they're they're absolutely the rowdiest group at practice too. They mm. have this like cha- they have this chant that they do after every practice, and they have a little dance off and a little little dance circle. It's actually pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ricky Correa probably has taken the biggest leap out of the defensive line. Mm-hmm. He's if you you know as if the season's starting tomorrow, he's probably the starting nose guard. Like Stanley. Stanley's great too, but he he's had some injuries over spring, and he didn't. I don't think he played that much or at all in the in the spring game. Yeah, I don't think I um, saw him. Yeah, I think he was. If I remember correctly, because I was standing on the sidelines for the spring game. If I remember correctly, he wasn't suited up, mm. so like he's dealing with with some nagging injuries. But if you can get him healthy, like you have two guys who can plug and play, and that's that's just out of your base. Like that's not even considering like whatever packages you decide to go with. And you've, as you've noted, like Darius long playing inside Jaden Roberts playing inside, like you can go with a different variety of looks and probably get the same production. Probably not the, probably not as, as great as like, if you had Ricky or, or Stanley at, at nose, but you could probably do a lot more things um, with some of the other guys. And so like there was one, the one notable for me was like they had Ricky Correa on a, like a delayed stunt, mm-hmm. like to the outside. Like they, it looked like he was dropping into coverage as like a QB spy, but then he loops around the defensive end and takes on. It was either the tight end or the or the left tackle, um, and just bull bull rushes his way to the quarterback. And so you have you have those types of body types and that type of physical attributes now at those positions and the athletic ability to be able to be a little bit more diverse in your play calling. Well, the the other thing that's interesting is that like this defense has been missing an effective nose tackle for so long that like, yep. you know, all you've been looking for is, is, is a dude who can anchor because the, they need it, right? Like they need a two gapper right in the middle when they go to a three down front. Um, and, and the absence of that has yep. really sort of killed them against power runs over the years. Uh, and, and sort of now that they have it, one of the things that you realize is that like the way that this three down front operates it, you know, they prefer bigger defensive ends because they want to do the double Eagle thing. They want to have the, you know, two outside linebackers as the, as the lighter yeah. pass rushers. So like some of the dudes, like I, I mentioned in 2020 that like Brett Johnson was sort of forced to play nose tackle, even though that guy should be playing defensive end, you know, so yep. because they were out of big bodies and he was like the, the only guy that they could, you know, they had the, uh, you know, we're, you know, some of these guys, that we're talking about is like 300 pounders or like Ethan Saunders and Derek Wilkins, who I think are like 280, yeah. 295. Like um, in other defensive fronts, somebody who's 295 would be a defensive tackle. But the way that this defense, the way that this defensive line operates, that dude's an end because they want to put like three dudes who are like 280 plus, you know, uh, you know, uh, as the, as the linemen and then have the OLBs, you know, be the, the edge rushers. So like, you know, it's like Ethan Saunders is the baby of the group at 280 <laughs> pounds. He's the lightest of the returners. Like they finally have some flipping beef. Um, you know, I, the you know the, the 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 talent you know on paper is not the highest in the Pac-12 by any stretch. But like the it's finally you know for something that I don't think that I could say since 2018. It's been like five years since I've been able to say this that like Cal has enough size on their defensive line to actually execute the defensive front that they want to execute. Um, wow. It's that, like, that, that's a shocker. Wow. Uh, it's been I a mean, while. 
Yeah, COVID definitely screwed with them. Like it's you know not entirely their fault, but like regardless of how it came to be, they are now in a position where they you know and like we saw in 2018 what this sort of defensive structure can do when they have enough beef on the defensive line. Like you know this could be a renaissance of that. Yeah, I, you know the name that keeps popping up like that we we've talked about you know are those big guys in the middle, but like the guys on the edge like. It is it's terrifying for me, like if I'm if I was an offensive player to see Brett Johnson and Xavier Carlton and Ethan Saunders come off the edge. Like it is it is terrifying to me. Well With it's those guys, their length, their speed, their power, like it's it's impressive. It's interesting that you mentioned Xavier Carlton because the way he was lining up in the spring, even though like on the official roster, he's classified as a defensive end. Um mm-hmm. I don't think that's actually the way they were using him in the spring game. And actually, yeah, I think they played him a lot outside. Yeah. Which I actually think is appropriate for his body type. Let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about the outside linebackers now. Um, Cause like I was talking about, like they, they like to have three big dudes in the middle and then they come off the edge with the OLBs. And you know, that was, well, Cal lost a number of very good uh, offensive uh, or excuse me, outside linebackers. They lost Cam Good, who'd been there for a long time. And I always liked they lost uh, Marquez Bimage, who came in from Texas and was just a, a wrecker right away. Um, it was like one of the best, you know, most effective transfers I've ever seen Cal take um, in the Wilcox era. Um, they lost Coin Dang, who might have been good OLB if they'd ever played him there. Um, and, and then a couple other guys, Curly Young, Parker Bosch, who I don't think got any playing time. Have I missed anybody? No, I think that's it. Um, they got a true freshman, uh, new knee to a tele. Um, I mm-hmm. don't, I think he was on, uh, uh, campus for spring. Yeah. And at any rate, there's so not much here yet. in this room. Yeah. I, I'm not really expecting him, but the really interesting one was Xavier Carlton. He was one of the four stars that Utah got in 2020. One of the curiously few four stars that Utah gets. Um, and I was actually looking forward to big things for him. And then I sort of looked at his weight group and I was like, this guy's not appropriate. His body type is not appropriate for a four down front, which is what Utah runs. Um, mm-hmm. And so him hopping in the portal is like, oh, I get it. This guy needs to transfer to a three down front. And where does he go? He goes to Cal. And I'm like, yep, that's because he's the new Cam Good. Um, like he's he's like Cam Good's body type, but like bigger. He's like a he's like a, a, a click shifted version of Cam Good. Um, like I, I've got that guy penciled in as a starter, uh, like as day one starter. And I think maybe Croteau as the other guy. What do you think? I mean, I think, yeah, for sure, Xavier is probably one of the starters. The other side is is a very good question. Like, I, it could be Orn Patu. It could be Croto. Um, like, I honestly, at this point, like, Miles Williams has done some things, too. Like, I honestly the, the don't Miles know the Miles with the Y Williams, guy. right? Oh, yeah, the 92 Miles, Miles Williams, not the 13 Miles Williams. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a big question mark right now at who's going to be the other side. The, the positive thing for right now is like after seeing the spring, like you, that question isn't something you need answered immediately just because of how much. And so the, yeah, how much pressure you're getting off of the front seven alone, like, but the, but it goes back to the offensive line, right? Like how good does the, the front seven look based on yeah where the offensive line is like is it because the offensive line isn't up to par right now that the front seven looks good or does the offensive line look even worse because the front seven is just that much more dominant yeah. i mean it's, i guess I, yeah i i totally know what you're saying we're just gonna have to wait and see on it like it's 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 hard to tell um 
the, uh, you know, uh, uh, if I had to guess, I would say I think the defensive line, you know, looks like they have the beef that they need. Um, but sort of the whole thing about this structure is that, like, you know, beef is kind of that, that, you know, they're defensive ends because that's what you're supposed to call them. But they're not really where the pass rush is coming from. Yeah, the pass rush is coming from the OLBs. I think this Carlton's going to work out. Um, I think mm-hmm. you're right. Like I have a hard time figuring out who the other one is and that's not a insignificant problem. Like that's, you know, if this defensive front or the defense, the guys who are playing on the defensive, uh, on the line of scrimmage, anyway, those five human beings that the nose tackle, the two ends and then the, <laughs> the two OLBs, like the one that I have the biggest question about is the OLB not named Xavier Carlton. Um, and that's non-trivial because the structure of the double Eagle is that like, he needs to be good. Like both of them need to be good. Um, and like, uh, one of the reasons why I thought that Bimage like came in and immediately won the job, you know, it became like an instant starter was that like Croto and Jernigan and Patu, um, and, and you know, some of these other guys, like we're just not as good. Um, and, and other guys, like for example, uh, Akili Calhoun, who was a, 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 a yeah. tr- true freshman four star. I don't think, you know, we really saw, but like he looked okay in the spring game. Like, what do you think? Like, well, Achilles, Achilles, uh, making a position change. Like he was brought in as a defensive end mm-hmm. and they were like, we think you're better at, we might think your skill set might be better at outside linebacker. And he's like, sure. I, if you if you don't watch a lot of like the pressers, I highly recommend you go watch Achilles Calhoun's on the Calabar's website. It is arguably the funniest one I have ever like oh, really? been a part of because he's talking about his like his change from you know being a defensive end to an outside linebacker and like the football side of things. And he's like, I like things were happening that I didn't know was happening. Like I didn't know I had to worry about this, but now I have to worry about it. And mm. like he's just enjoying every moment of it. But you can tell by the way he talks, like it was overwhelming. Like his first couple weeks, you know, switching. Well, there's pass coverage responsibilities. Like that's the thing. Like exactly. that's always the and thing like, about switching from DE to OLB is that like <laughs> yeah. in this and in many defenses that employ an OLB plus a DE is like suddenly you're gonna have to drop back into pass coverage on maybe like a third of snaps. Um, and like maybe he doesn't know how to do that. Yeah, I mean, not yet. he's also I mean, he, big too. Like he's the, 280 pounds, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the fun part about his like that that entire conversation was like, you know, he's had his fair share at defensive end of sacks and tackles for loss and fum- force fumbles and so on. But you saw the twinkle in his eye when I asked him about like how are you going to feel when you get that first interception, like dropping into coverage, and he just happened to pick one off. Mm-hmm. And he said he told. Uh, did he tell Coach Browning or did he tell Coach Soto? He's like, like, I'm not going down. Like, I'm taking it to the house. <laughs> like, I, like, this might be my only chance to score. Like, you are not telling me to go down, like, at all. And so it's he, he has, like, this – he's excited to play the position. But, like, it's clear even in the spring game, like, the game is – the position and what he's being asked to do is still coming in. But his athletic ability – masks some of that like he's he's pretty quick twitch for a guy who's six four two eighty. well there are officially speaking nine guys uh in the room i believe um counting carlton and tuatele um mm-hmm. for this type of uh defense you you need you know four you need to have like four man rotation here like two on yeah. each side um you know I, i've got you know carlton penciled in i you know it'll be 
you know, let's see how, how Calhoun does. I think there's enough bodies in the room between Miles Williams or Patu, Miles Jernigan, uh, Braxton Croto, like that. I don't think they're going to have difficulty assembling a four man rotation. And indeed, I think they could probably take an injury or two and, 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 and still have enough, you know, warm bodies in order to keep playing. It's just sort of, I still think it's an open question, you know, who, you know, who it's going to be and is that guy going to be really productive um you know because like i said you know they're they're losing their two studs in good and image and so it's it's again one of these questions where like on paper this should be fine but we still got to see it you know yeah i think if you're telling me to pick today i'm probably picking warren pa too okay that's probably the guy I would pencil in as a starter on the other side it's just that he of all the returners who had any experience he had you know I think he played in two games last year. Yeah, and his thing has always been like, you know, the coaches rave about his ability, and it's just he was playing behind Cam Good. Sure. Like, there was you're not supplanting Cam Good if he's not injured. So, like, this is the opportunity he's getting now to to take that starting role. And I mean, he he's athletic. He's great off the edge. He has good hands. Like in the blitz pickup, you know, segments where he's taking on a guard or he's taking on a tackle, like he's he's done pretty well for himself. So, but I just don't know how that translates into a game. But as I said, like if if you're telling me to pick one right now, I'm picking Patu as the starter over Croto. Fair enough. Uh, all right, let's talk about the inside linebackers. Um, I mm. think there's only one departure here: Evan Tattersall, right? Yep. Tattersall yep. was the interesting character because, like, I. You know, uh, Cal for a long time, you know, they did not rotate their inside linebackers at all. And like the only guy who got even like a wisp of experience behind Evan Weaver was was Evan Tattersall. Um, and, and, and so, you know, uh, they, they were playing basically like a five man rotation last year with him. Um Muelu Ayusefa, there's another Ayusefa somewhere on the team. Uh, Femi Oladejo, Nate Ruchena, uh, Trey Pastor, I believe was a, a converted, um, uh, safety um yep. so and it's like they they they're all within like 10 tackles of each other you know it was like it was you know they went from like never rotating the ilbs to rotating the ilbs a lot um mm-hmm. and the 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 good news about that is that okay 20 percent of them left but the other 80 percent of the tackles you know return um they it looks like there's only one addition. I don't think there's a prep ILB who came in, but they got out of the transfer portal Jackson Sermon from Washington. I think that's yep. it. Yep. Um, let me tell you, Jackson Sermon sucks. Uh, the <laughs> the entire Sermon family, even though it's an Oregon family, like they suck. Uh, but what I can't <laughs> tell, uh, what I can't tell is whether or not Jackson Sermon sucked because his coach was Bob Gregory, who really sucks, even though he now works at Oregon. Uh, um or and so like i can't tell you whether or not he's going to continue sucking at cal because he's been like poisoned by bob gregory or now that he's out from under the oppressive thumb of bob gregory he will suddenly blossom and be great ilb like that's another you know thing where it's like i don't know i'm gonna have to wait and see what do you have an opinion on jackson sermon is playing for your dad going to be like the redemption arc that most people think of oh gosh I don't know. I mean, he's looked good in, in in practice. Like he was dinged up and he wasn't able to go. I think the last week, but mm-hmm. he's looked good when he's played. I the the ILB group is like the 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 it's more. I don't know. Frustrating is the right word, but like 
after the 2020 year, a lot of us had so much hope in this group and was like, ooh, like who is going to take that next step? Because there's so much competition for those spots that it it just feels ripe and like the perfect situation for someone to like blossom into that next Evan Weaver type of well, they had such a run of them, you know, Jordan like, Kanashik and mm-hmm. uh, like a like there's a run of like four incredible ILBs. Yeah. At Cal. And we had a. Yeah, and we had a good rotation of four guys in that 2020 year who were all like freshmen or sophomores mm-hmm. where we were thinking, okay, maybe one of those guys is, is going to take that next step. No one really took that next step last season, um, especially with, you know, we a lot of us thought uh, ISF, Mo ISF was going to be that guy, but he yeah. had a sophomore slump. And I, I remember was, you and I talked about him when he was a freshman in 2020 mm-hmm. and like, oh, this guy's for real. Uh, and then, yeah. you know, and then 2021 was like, where's where's my bit where's my guy you know yeah i think it was just i think he never got fully healthy and it was just Mm. it was just a down year for him like blake ancelados in fall camp last year looked to be the cemented starter at one of the inside linebacker spots he was playing out of his mind and then he gets injured and is out for the year and so yeah i don't think we saw him play at all last year yeah he didn't play at all he's so his his story is pretty funny where he went on he was a freshman and Evan Weaver's uh, senior campaign. And he apparently went up to Evan Weaver on campus one day and was like, Hey, I'm you. <laughs> That's, That's a horrible and Evan Weaver. Line, yeah, and Evan Weaver was like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> did, did Evan Weaver no flush idea. really hard at that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that was, I mean, that was Evan Weaver's side of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, he could be that guy, but I think the guy that's probably made the most strides this spring is Femi mm-hmm. Oladeo. Like, Oladeo, like, looked real good. Like, if you saw spring ball, I think you'll you'll agree. Like, he he played, and then they benched him. <laughs> like, yeah. I, think, I think the coaching staff basically was like, we know what you can do. Let's not uh, get you hurt. Okay, that... <clears throat> that's an interesting interpretation. I didn't know how to interpret that. Uh, I thought that was a possibility, um, like sort of what I suggested about a plumber, the quarterback that like, we know yeah. that you're the starter let's look at everybody else. Or yeah. I thought maybe he might've been hurt or something, or they was in the doghouse or something, but you think, no, really he's got the job locked down and they were just sort of trying oh, out everybody yeah. else. Okay. For Femi, I think it's absolute. I think, you know, the four guys that you think going into the fall are going to be on that rotation. Like as of right now, is probably the four guys from last season, right? Like Trey Pastor, Nate Ruchena, Femi Oladejo, and Ayasefa. Like maybe the last two guys, you could. there is some wiggle room that Jackson Sermon sneaks in there. If Ancelotos comes back healthy, he sneaks into there. But I think Oladejo like, is probably the number one inside linebacker. He's played outstanding during the spring all throughout. He's, he's probably the guy on the team that's taken like the largest leap forward. In that's interesting over like a month uh all right well, well i will keep our eyes informed i you know i think he, he came into the 2021 class so like you know that much of a jump you know from year one to year two like okay um yeah i, I guess you know the the thing that the, the thing that i noticed about this room is just like the, there's is the size issue you know like that's one of, one of the things about esfa that you know yeah. i yeah i sort of commented is like that, that's another guy needs to go to you know camp out of blondies uh because like you know <laughs> i i i think he had the you know this technique down but i just would 
you know, throughout 2021, I'd see him get run over because the guy's like 230 pounds. He's like, you know, maybe 10, 15 pounds underweight for the job. And then like, you know, the rest of the guys too, like Ruchenna and Pastor, I think are lighter than, you know, yep. and they, you know, Pastor, I, th I think I said, you know, is a, it was a converted safety. I'm just like, dude, you need to, you need to hit like a linebacker, man. You know, he has a little more mass here. Um, but Oladejo's 250, you know, it's just like, ah, there you go. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I think like I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jackson Sermon, you know, broke into the rotation, even though I just went on a long rant about how much he sucks, like because that's another big guy, you know, and I sort of like what I noticed about Cal's inside linebackers over the years is like they definitely prefer a bigger guy. Um and like I, I wouldn't be surprised you know you, you said there's four returners and you they probably continue with that four-man rotation and I think that's a sensible take but I wouldn't be surprised at all if one of those guys lost their spots uh to Sermon for the size issue alone you know yeah no I think that's that's probably spot on I think the Oladejo thing is like the curious one for me because if you if you get to if you get to see him in person or like just look at him standing like he's got such long arms at that size he can hit well too he's getting better at making his reads and plugging the right gaps and so and he had he already had the athletic ability so like i i honestly believe that oladejo panning out over the spring is kind of what they thought they had with coin dang at inside linebacker hmm. i think that's kind of the the formula that they wanted but it's showcasing now with He's like long arms in order to pick balls off over the right middle. yeah mm -hmm. yeah and i and and he has the athletic ability to you know to get to the edge if need be or to drop into coverage or to blitz up the middle like he's he is you know the, the inside linebackers are the do-it-all guys on this defense so they're i think that's they're kind of i think all the defensive like coaches on this roster are probably smiling a little bit at like okay like this is how we're going to do damage from the inside linebackers position. And this is what we wanted from that inside linebacker spot. And then besides the six guys that we have mentioned, there's four other dudes in the room who I don't think got mm -hmm. uh, really any playing time. I, uh, Ryan Puskas, Caleb Elam Zor, uh, Andy Alfieri, Kyle Smith. Um, there's a fifth guy. If you want to count uh, Mikhail Soto, who I think is related to the new OLBs coach. Um, I believe he's the nephew. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah. Um, so like, you know, I don't think they're going to have any difficulty putting together a four man rotation. I actually think that there's probably going to be, a, you know, uh, uh, either a fifth guy in the rotation, the way they were doing it last year, or just one of those guys loses their spot to sermon. But at any rate, like that's plenty of depth. Plus, you know, a bunch of other, you know, even if like an injury, you know, bug, you know, breaks out like the, it's not like those are the only you know five bodies they got in the room they got more too uh I don't, I don't really have any complaints about this unit other than like i'd like to see a little more size you know from the guys not named femi oladeo um but i you know i think this is going to be fine yeah. I, I think sort of like high expectations of this defensive front are, are pretty reasonable yeah i think a couple of notes with that too i think andy alfieri has made the switch over to tight end oh so really you have oh i didn't know that okay yeah yeah uh and then that. uh Caleb Alarms or is listed at inside linebacker, but he's brought in as an outside. Hmm. So he's also making a position change from the so, outside. But you think side. he is going to be an ILB? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I think they're making that position change for him. He, 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 the reason they brought him in at outside was he was one of the, he's, I mean, he's a local kid from Hayward, California, Murrow Catholic, oh, really? you know, just down the freeway. Um, but he, I mean, everywhere in has, California is just down the freeway. 
it's true yeah but he does have some speed on him and i think that's kind of what they liked about him um on the outside but i think they're they're trying to transform that speed to be a between the numbers type of speed all right let's talk about the uh defensive backs um so as we were talking about at the top like Mm. uh you know a lot of a lot of moving around for this group both in the season and then like a a number of personnel losses um losing the great elijah hicks um in the last uh holdover from that you know phenomenal uh, uh group that that uh Wilcox got at the beginning of his tenure um uh also losing another safety Isaiah Humphreys who I don't think I saw much of I think he, he came in from Penn State um yeah. losing uh Josh Drayden who I have classified as a cornerback but I think he's sort of playing all over the field um yeah. uh losing you know definitely the cornerback uh Chigozi Anusium um mm-hmm. losing Brandon Smith and Jalen Martin who, who are also uh, cornerbacks but I, I don't think saw the field very much uh i think that's it i think i just have six departures from the dbs i miss anybody nope that's it all right um for the cornerbacks uh returning uh well the notable ones are colin gamble and lumagia hearns um how would you evaluate their play last year i mean i think the surprise for everyone is lou right i mean he he started playing and Everyone's like, why are we playing a true freshman like that's under six foot? Like, you know, he's fast. But when he when he, when he came in, like most of us who evaled him was like, hey, he's probably going to like maybe run, run pun return, like probably play corner, but never really see the field until maybe senior year. But then he proved us all wrong. Doesn't play like any punt return or kick return. <laughs> becomes the starting cornerback and is probably the first name on the defensive depth chart like come this fall. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's sort of a blind spot for me because like like we were talking about when we were looking at the schedule, like, you know, because Cal played Oregon in their sixth game. And so most of my intense film study was their first five games um, when they were still having like an identity crisis at cornerback. Um, And it sounds like what you're saying is that in the back half of the season, which I didn't study as intensely, although I did watch a couple of Cal games, um, was that he really came on in the second half of the season. Is that yeah? Is that a that, fair yeah. way to put it? Yeah, I think he locked in the starting role in in that. Like the first half was growing pains, and you saw that. And he still made some freshman errors. You know, it's he's a true freshman, playing at probably one of the hardest positions on the football field, and he he just took it head on. And now he's the starter. Like you know, they they keep ta- referring to him as one of the leaders in the room, and he's only a true sophomore in in the cornerback and you know defensive back room so that just tells you how much respect that the entire room has for his play and he's usually plunking the number one wide receiver too like when they're playing against our offense like he's he's that guy uh what did you think about colin gamble colin was also one of those guys where i was surprised by his play i was disappointed in a lot like i expected he had a really good fall camp and so for him to stumble a little bit, like coming out of the gate, it was a little sad. And he made some, he made some mistakes like spelling for for Chiggy, but it did look like he started to come on a little bit stronger. It sucks we didn't get to see him in the spring just because he was hurt. Um, he was one of the two cornerbacks that were that were hurt, which is oh. why we only had four guys being. Able I was to trying to figure out why I wasn't seeing him. I was wondering if there was you know somebody had sur- surpassed him, but he was just yeah. hurt. Yeah, it was him and Caleb Higgins that were hurt, and okay. uh, so that's why. Yeah, so so we, you know, you got to see guys like Evan McClurkin. Isaiah Young had some good moments uh, towards the end of the second half of last season too, 
um, when guys were starting to get injured and, and guys were unable to play. And so you have these four guys get the majority of the snaps in the spring. And it's hard to say like where they improved and or if they're a lot better because they're getting more snaps or if they're a lot better because you're just adjusting to only watching them play. Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell. You know, it's interesting because I think I only see two additions to the entire defensive back group um, who are two true freshmen, uh, Cameron Sidney and Jeremiah mm-hmm. Irby, um, who I yeah. don't think were on campus for spring. I have them both nope. classified as cornerbacks. Um, it, it seems curious. Like, that seems like a weird decision not to take more. And I, do you think that there's maybe some portal additions coming down the road? There could be. I honestly think that you probably want to add one more to the corner, probably either a grad transfer just so you can shore up the depth a little bit. Um, Like that's probably the only type I would want just because there's so much youth in there that you don't want to stunt any of their growth. Yeah. Like Isaiah Young's a junior. Lou's going to become a a true sophomore. Colin Gamble's a true junior. Like Caleb Higgins is the guy that all of us think is going to be like that guy next. Right. He's, 6'2", 195, like a lot of, you know, Nam, who's probably our best uh, talent eval guy on the Cal beat, who has retired since, but his la- one of his last evals was Caleb Higgins, and he pegged him as probably a top-tier NFL draft pick. So, Really? Um, yeah, he's. I think he's, he's the next guy up, but that's why I don't think you want to bring in any of those guys if you really believe some of these guys are going to become the next Elijah Hicks or Cam – can't buy them. Well, it's just a, so it's just a question of managing the injuries, right? Like, you know, right. I, I, the, the four that you've met, you know, G- Gamble and Hearns as the starters, Young and Higgins as the backups, you know, and then having, you know, two more dudes, Tyson McWilliams and Evan McLurkin, um, and then the two true freshmen. Like, yeah, that's probably fine, you know, in terms of depth, having, you know, eight guys in the room. It's just there, you know, there's not a lot of experience. And you said there's, there's two injuries of guys that they have high expectations for, you know, Gamble and Higgins you know it's sort of you know it, it'd be a situation where like i'd be looking at the health report every single day and being like mm, i think maybe we need one more guy you know like just to be safe yeah um uh, that's sort of you know i wouldn't be surprised at all to see another addition here um uh, yeah but and I think that's that's why i think it's an it's going to be an older guy um so th- but that's, that's a fair point for you yeah, uh, because they want to develop because they think these guys are for real and they want to develop them. Um, yeah, but but the, the, that those four that we mentioned, uh, Gamble and Hearns as starters, Young and Higgins as the backups, it, assuming that those guys are back to one hundred percent health by the fall, that's your expectation for the rotation. Yeah, probably. I mean, Tyson McWilliams did some really good things in the spring too, so I, he might supplant Higgins as the fourth guy, um, just because Higgins didn't play last year. He's a red shirt freshman. Mm-hmm. I don't know where he is in terms of his health. So if he's not ready to go in the fall, I think McWilliams is probably that, that guy right there. I mean, that is the notable thing about the cornerback unit is that it is so young. Like every single person who came in is from the last three, uh, three cycles, right? Like there's no 2018s, mm-hmm. no 2019s, no, no yeah. even 2017s of which there are still a couple on the team. Um, you know, and so, you know, again, it's sort of a position where it's like, looks okay on paper, but uh, you know, we want to see some more experience which I think we've said about like four or five different position groups, uh, you know, at this point. Yeah. The cornerbacks are a little weird for me too because you know this the the entire mantra of this coaching staff has been we value experience over 
and like making the smart play and like being you know in the game mature yeah. versus like athletic ability. But then when it came to the cornerbacks, like when Chiggy was not performing well, they immediately went to the bench and immediately like was like, all right, Gamble, you're in. All right, Lou, you're in. And it was like a sink or swim moment. And they both they both swam. And so that's why I'm like, I that's why I trust their eval and their decision making process when it comes to the cornerbacks. But at the same time, I'm like, you can't make that call about anywhere else on the playing field. Like, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's what I was saying about why I think that Justin Wilcox was getting so hot. He was like, I don't want to have to play freshman. Like, how dare you force me to play freshman? <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about the safeties or actually, yep. could you tell me this, um, this, they, they like to play a three down double legal front, meaning only four DBs in the back, but occasionally, or even not occasionally, like fairly often they will go to a, a nickel configuration. I think I was seeing yeah. the other ESFA Fatfalu, uh, ESFA playing nickel back. Do you think I got that right? Yeah. So they, I had, I actually did ask about that because we had so little bodies, you know, playing corner. And I asked Peter Sermon about that and they said the, it's a double-edged sword because one, you don't have enough guys, so you want to manage the the rotation and and the amount of plays that each guy is taking. But at the same time, because you have a shorter roster at both safety and at at corner, you're able to play guys and tr try and get some positional versatility. And I think that's what they were doing at nickel. I think they were testing out a bunch of guys to see who could be that next nickel guy because. Clearly, last year it was it was Drayden. Like he right. was he and he has been the nickel guy for a few years now. So I think they're testing out a bunch of guys to maybe be able to take that position. Like you know, Dohan Butler even played some corner and he's listed at safety. Fatu, of course, we were talking about playing nickel and safety. Um, so yeah, I think it was more of a let's see if these guys can play this spot because we just don't have enough bodies right now. Um, and I think that's kind of my take on it right now, too. Well, I think they've got some options. I don't think we'll the... have a set guy. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Based on what I was seeing at spring, like I, I, I was going to ask you to put down a marker. I'm like, no, that's not fair. They're still trying to figure this one out. But I think they have a couple of decent, you know, I think they can move some pieces around because obviously Daniel Scott is going to be a starter at one of the safety spots. Um, it looks like there's a real fight between uh, Raymond Woody and the other Miles Williams, Miles with an I. Um, uh and like i and like you said there's other dudes in the room too we didn't see him last year but dewan butler hunter barth um uh craig woodson um you know like that's you know it's not a huge room certainly like i i think there's only seven guys that i would tab as as being safeties and and probably you need to pull one of these guys to be the nickelback when they go to a nickel formation um um, but, but it's enough bodies to play with, you know, like, I don't know. I, I, I and it could be the, you know, whoever loses out the battle between Woody and Williams, like, well, there's your nickelback, you know, like problem solved, you know, um, at the very least, I think they probably have four playable safeties here, you know, uh, uh, and maybe more between Scott, ESF, Woody and Williams. And that if you need, you know, three dudes, uh, to be your, you know, two traditional safeties in your nickelback, like, Hey, you know, four is a bigger number than three. We're done. Um, it's just like, there's not a lot of depth or at least there's not a lot of, you know, depth of experience because it's like the, the, you know, Scott and Hicks were playing like damn near every snap, right? Like, 
you know, and, and with Hicks gone, and it was great to have Scott back, but I mean, the fall off in play experience between Scott and like, I mean, we're just using tackles as a, as a, a proxy for, um, for, for, for play count, you know, last year it's Daniel Scott has 82 tackles. The next most is Yusefa with 10, you know, like there's a huge, you know, experience fall off. Um, and it's, you know, yet another one of these positions where I feel like on paper, this looks fine, but, uh, you know, we're just gonna have to see it. Yeah. I, so that's the two guys that you actually didn't mention at all are the two guys that I'm very curious about. Oh, right? really? I'm, I'm ex- excuse my dog. Hmm. Um, no, worries. they've been very patient with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Craig Woodson and Hunter Barth are the two guys I'm very curious about because Craig Woodson, before the injury in fall camp last year, was probably the guy s- might have supplanted Daniel Scott as the starter next to Elijah Hicks. But he got hurt and last year, and in, in... he did. He got he got hurt in fall camp. It was it was him and Isefa that was, or uh, him and Antelados that were like the two of damn it like we lost two starters to injuries Ah. like no it was it was just it sucked but you know the thing about woodson is if you asked any of the former takers you know ashton davis jalen hawkins cam bynum like you ask any of them a couple years ago like who's the next guy who's taking that mantle from you guys every single one of them mentioned craig woodson really he was the guy that they all where like he he has the talent, he has the ability, like he's the guy that they see as the next guy, and he was definitely showcasing that. I mean, if your name, if your last name is Woodson, you're playing. Safety, yeah, I know. <laughs> you have you have a lot. Is to he live related up to? to uh, or, or I don't is that believe just a coincidence. So. Yeah, I, it's just a coincidence. Yeah, um, but so he's he has he had some stellar stellar play. So I'm curious to see if how he looks coming back from injury. Um, you know, like with him and. With with Woodson and with Ancelotti, like both were leg injuries. Like, I if I would think one of them was an Achilles and the other one was an ACL. I can't remember which Ouch. one was which. Um, but yeah, so like, if Woodson comes back healthy in the fall, that that immediately like starts a really really interesting competition. The other name, Hunter Barth, of course. See, I so I wasn't able to make a, like the last like two weeks, not all of the practices, but I missed a couple. I don't know if he ended up, but by my count, Hunter Barth was in the top two of interceptions by the end of the spring. Really, and he he really had a knack for the ball even last year too. Like if you watch the spring game last season, uh, he had one of the one of the interceptions in that game as well. Like he's and he's a hard hitter, and he's a ball hawk. Like. I don't know what more you can ask from a safety. And so that's the very interesting one right there is, is Hunter Barth. Can he make, can he push a guy to get there? And you know, that, that room, like not just the safeties, but the corners as well, like in terms of interceptions and like trying to one up the other guy, like that competition is intense. Well, uh, I mean, so there's certainly room for competition, right? You know, like Scott is seems like the only dude who's got a job locked down, you know, and and yeah. and, and you know, so there's two positions and and three, you know, between 
two traditional safeties and they, and they need a nickelback like and then they need backup so it's like you know six guys uh you know get jobs only one of them looks like they have a job locked down you know it could be a real knockdown drag out fight and fall camp for for the other positions it it's again you know I, I said this a second ago but it's like they they have enough bodies to you know play around with this you know they're they're promising you know practice reports it's just like you know the in-game experience just isn't there and yeah. so you know we're just gonna have to wait and see well the canine yeah. alarm clock is going off so I, I think that's telling me that i'm i'm out of questions uh <laughs> well uh i got one one final question to wrap us up rob uh and that is once again uh rob wong of right for cal um rob so looking at this schedule here which i, I got in the messages here or a uh, little um <laughs> yeah well we're starting with the uh, non-con of uc davis unlv and then at notre dame then, uh, as far as Pac-12 play is concerned, we're missing out on Arizona State. We're missing out on Utah. And we got road games at Washington State on the October 1st, then a bye uh, at Colorado. And we also have at USC later in the season at Oregon State. Um, what, well, how many wins you got? Are we going to a bowl game, Rob? That's what I really care about here. Dude, that's oh my goodness! Like I'm, <laughs> I, I, this, I flip flop like every hour, <laughs> like one Dude, hour. This is a like, soft right, schedule. I like if Cal doesn't make a bowl, with it, I mean, like yeah, they've got some hard. You know, they got to play at Notre Dame. That's probably a loss. You know, they, 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 you know, Oregon's probably a loss. Every other game on the schedule is a winnable game. Like, what are you hemming and hawing yeah. about, Rob? Like, they, they I mean, I'm like, I'm, bowl. Yeah, I think the floor is six wins, but then, like, you know, just judging by our track record the last three years, I'm like, there's going to be upset losses, and it's it's going to push us down to, like, you know, four and eight. Like, <laughs> it's just – it's it's ingrained in me, Hithliday. Like, I've been through too much. Mm. <laughs> I've been, my heart has been through too much. Um, but, like, the home schedule is great. Like, I absolutely love the home schedule. I do not like the Arizona home game because that the last time Arizona played here, it was that Khalil Tate, like, triple overtime game where oh, we God. lost. Mm-hmm. So I do. I have flashbacks every time. I did have PTSD uh, with Arizona playing in in Berkeley. Um, <laughs> and I, why do we always schedule like Arizona or like Oregon State or Washington State to be like our homecoming games? Like why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we hype like this up and like tell everyone to come back and then we like lose? <laughs> I just I don't understand the marketing aspect of it. Um, but I think six wins is the floor. I think. I honestly think, you know, Davis and UNLV, I think I'm penciling in as wins. Who the hell knows what happens at Notre Dame? Like, I'm thinking it's a loss, too. But then there's, like, you know, the 1% in me of, like, maybe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, at a 2 I mean, up until last year, Justin Wilcox was, like, good for winning every single one of the Power 5 mm-hmm. non-cons. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, they have a first-time head coach there, too. You know, yeah. and, and I'm I'm... I'm rooting for him because he's half Korean at the same time. But, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. can you lose us this one? You can <laughs> you can win the rest, but you can you lose us this one? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we have to get revenge against Arizona. I think uh, we have to somehow exercise demons and, and beat Washington State. Colorado, I think that's a win for sure. Uh, and then the other ones are toss-up. I don't think Stanford's going to be good again this year. I, I absolutely yeah. – I honestly, like, just – objectively i do not think they're going to be good so that's probably the other win you get right there and then the, that stretch of like washington oregon sc and oregon state man that's rough i mean oregon state's replacing their quarterback too so it's who knows um and so is sort of you guys and 
so is SC, but you know we know who SC's quarterback is at this point. So, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I, I get five without breaking a sweat with with you know Davis, yeah. UNLV, Arizona, Colorado, Stanford, and then like if you can't take a game from from either Washington State and Washington, you know, next year it's boy, that's going to be a real waste. Like you know, yeah. we just went through this entire roster, and it's like every single position is like. They have the dudes, you know, like they, they may not have all the experience that they need, but, you know, that's sort of like the the point is that, you know, the, this has been, you know, I, the first one of these interviews that we did was Arizona and it was just sort of gobsmacking how much of a roster turnover it was where it was like kicking out the yeah. kicking out the like the two stars and the, the unrated Juco's and the short dudes out of the wide receiver room and replacing them with like four stars and stuff. And here I'm looking at the calorie and it's like, well, they're not proven yet, but like, my God, the talent turnover has been phenomenal. And I look at Cal and I'm sort of see, seeing something relatively similar where it's like, there's a, there's, it's unproven, but like the, the coaches kind of can't screw up these roster choices. They have, you know, too many good options. And the, 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 you know, the, the folks that I sort of had problems with are all out the door. Like if this team can't get to six, like I would fire Justin Wilcox. That's my take. <laughs> Do you think that's too hot of a take? No, no. I, I think I, I'm not sure if this is like, cause you know, my, my whole theory on, on head coaches is that every head coach gets the, gets that Joker card, which is like fire one of your coordinators and just blame it on them to buy yourself another year. So even mm. if he sucks this year, like I, I think he, you get that one chance and you, he, you he fired you know, Troy fire Taylor Musgrave and Tim DeRuiter. Like one. He, he's, he played that card twice I, already, Rob. Yeah, I, so <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's my take. I think Tim DeRuiter like leaving was like his, he wanted, he wanted like a better job. And so he's not Troy Taylor, but he, oh, he's no longer Troy at Oregon, Taylor right? Was... Yeah. Bo Baldwin. Yes. Yeah, Bo Baldwin was one of the, it's one of those weird ones. Cause did you really, they fire were both him, in Eastern Washington. Con- like, it, 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 Kyle Whittingham yeah. was the one who hired Troy Taylor and yes. then fired him. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I already played that card, so, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you could, I think you could see it either way. I don't think he's personally played that card yet because he hasn't officially fired anyone. Right. Like everyone left on their own accord. Oh, I see. Like, like he didn't he uh, uh, they like decided to spend more time cycle with his family uh-huh. yeah or like you know like his contract ran up and then he got a head coaching job at cal poly like mm-hmm. did he really fire him timing wise yes but like on paper not really he hasn't he hasn't like said like we're relieving him of his duties um so see that's why like this so up until this season right it's or this upcoming season it's been all right you're leaning on the experience i get it you're trying not to lose i get it um, you didn't think the guys that you brought in were ready. I get it. And as we just did this roster breakdown now, these are all your guys. There's not a single one now left from the Sonny Dykes regime. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not a single one. So, I mean, this is now, now you have And even to, if you want to give him a grace yeah. period because of COVID, it, it's still an, entirely his team. Like every single choice that has been made for the current Cal team is a Justin Wilcox choice. I, I don't know, yep. man. Like, I, I don't, if this dude misses a bowl, I say fire him. Like, what do you think? Like, regardless of what's going to happen, because I think the Cal wouldn't do it, you know, like they, they literally poured all their money into a whole oh, yeah. round. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like you personally, Rob the Wong, fan if you base... were running the program, like, would you Ooh. fire Justin Wilcox if he missed a bowl this year? I'm still a believer that I don't want to take this cop out answer, but like, it honestly would have to depend on how the season, like there's nuance. Like I don't, 
if the te- if the season is an absolute dumpster fire and we're getting blown out and we're like losing every single game, I think he's out the door, right? But if you get close enough with this much young talent and it's just like one play might have decided it, which is kind of his entire tenure here. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I, I think I would, yeah. like fans right? be storming the, the, <laughs> the sidelines if that happened again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you get like, if you, you know, if you, if you get that like one, I, you know what, let's, uh, you know what, this is, this is like, we're talking in May. My answer is going to change come August, but for now, mm. let's just say it. If if he doesn't make a bowl game this year, yeah, he's got to go. I, oh man, that that'd be something for him to turn down the Oregon job and then get fired from Cal the next year. That that would be quite the. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who would be laughing at the end of that. Right? Would it be like Oregon fans <sighs> saying we dodged that bullet, or would it be Cal fans being like, "You should have you should have left earlier"? <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know what the win win situation here is, but <laughs> yeah, I think he needs to get to at least the bowl game. Um, oh, but I mean, we like, agree that you know, this team is bowl capable, right? Like, yeah, I don't think it's out of the question or like too outlandish to be like this team has a floor of six wins. Or, or let me put like, it this way: that like we've just completed this review of the roster, and it's like all of the potential in the world is there. You know, like all of the potential yeah. to win. You know, forget six games; all the potential is there to win eight or nine games if he hits on the you know proper development of these dudes who are his dudes that you know he selected and he is responsible for developing and he you know or he hired all the dudes who are responsible for developing and like this is a hundred percent ownership of this team which has the potential and so therefore like how else could you read winning only five games but of as a failure of coaching i guess is the way that i would phrase it yeah yeah i mean that's a very good question i like I can't give you an answer because I don't. I don't think I'm there yet. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would need to. I would need to see the product on the field failing, failing, and him getting all of the questions that are being asked of him in terms of development and getting them all wrong to be like, yeah, okay, we've done this enough. I mean, there's already fans that are like that. There are already fans yeah. that are off off this and just like they're ambivalent to it because they realize that we're financially cash strapped, that we're not going to be able to fire him especially after this extension. We're definitely not firing after just one season after giving him this extension to what, like 2020. Yeah. I I know it's not so, going to happen. Like, I know this is totally like, yeah. th- this is just like, how do you go about evaluating Justin Wilcox's tenure? Oh yeah. Uh, no. And, yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing. Like I think the, the people that have already been off the bandwagon are going to be proven right. And they're gonna be like, see, like this is what we signed off for, signed up for, like one notch below mediocrity. Like, hey, and, and if anyone wants to leave a podcast for this review uh, with that exact sentence, actually, one notch uh, above <laughs> mediocrity. But I, like, I've been like super. I don't want to leave it like that because I've been like way too negative just for the purposes of this thought experiment. I should also <laughs> go on the record and say, like, this is a team where if they hit on all these questions. Right, like all these different positions that we've gone through, it's like this looks pretty good on paper. They they just need to prove it. Like if they prove it, like this is an eight or nine win team, you know. Like yeah, I think this is a team that's probably vying for the top of the Pac-12 North. Like sure. if if everything hits, just because of the lay of the land right now too. Like there's there's two new head coaches in the Pac-12 North. There's I think four, including us, like that don't have us that are replacing their starting quarterback. And a bunch of star talent on the defensive side. 
like it's whoever whoever develops and hits on any of those questions that are going to be making that next move up the ladder and someone's ha- someone's going to have to fall yeah chaos is a ladder um rob once again thanks so much for joining the pod at right for cal that is w r i t e f o r cal is where you can find uh him on twitter but also at rob 11 wong h w a n g uh please also just go to writeforcal.com it's a wonderful site even if you're a duck fan just looking to keep up with our opponents and then also the golden bear cast is a is a great listen uh, at golden bear cast is also you can find it on twitter um hithliday as always, love having your expertise here. Really diving into this roster. Uh, it's been fun. It's always great to to talk to our friends from ATQ South. ATQ South, that's right. Uh, and that was <laughs> Hithliday of ATQ North, aka Addicted to Quack, which is where you can find his duck dives. Uh, also, just a bunch of other wonderful Oregon Duck fan-based uh, writings and such. And uh, also, at Hithliday1 on Twitter, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y, the number one. And then at Quack 12 Podcast for us. Woo! That was a lot of Cal football. I'm going to go do something uh, that isn't Cal football. So it's yeah. fun right now. Dude, we're in two hours. Like, we were kind of joking around a lot. Uh, uh, having a blast. All right. Uh, we'll see you all next week. It was wonderful talking to you. See you.